you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. 
rocket. What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Well, the thing is, like, for us here in Maryland, like, it tends to get, like, really butt-ass cold between January and March. Mm-hmm. Like, for whatever March reason. is my least... I'm so sorry, it's your birthday month. March <laughs> is my least favorite month here in Maryland. Like, I just hibernate and... Because, first off, all the holidays are done. Besides, like, even Valentine's Day is over. But it's March Madness. We do have March Madness to look forward to, but it is so fucking windy here. Yeah, that's part of the problem during that month because as we start to go into April, well, because it's it's a mixture of the the cold plus it starts getting rainy a lot normally because March and April there's always like the mixture of rain. We do get that occasionally throughout the winter months, but not like it is during that time when spring's coming around. I know. So yeah, it gets a little crazy uh, with that. Uh <clears throat> Lots to get to today. Um, okay. We have our Retro Duty Movie Vault pick that uh-huh. Neko has. Uh-huh. A little bit of disco coming your way. Oh, yes. Uh, saw a nice little article about it. It's mainly just uh, about Marvel TV shows. Not the movies, just the TV shows that haven't ranked them. Now, some of them... Are never... they talking about, like, Daredevil as well? Or the yeah, stuff only yeah, on Disney Plus? Stuff, okay. All that stuff, yeah. Uh, but there's stuff in there that's other Marvel products that I've never heard or even knew, and I, you know. But we'll we'll just kind of go through those because they've okay. ranked them. Uh, we're gonna give our re- final review of the Beatles Get Back. I mean, it took us a couple of days to watch it. Each, it's six each hours, one is, yeah. is is really long. But uh, it's very worth it for those that like that kind of stuff. If you if you are even just a tiny bit interested in the Beatles, um. It was so well put together with archival footage that they had, like, hours. I don't even know, I mean, who had it, but it's, they shot it in 69, so they had so much footage that they shot over a month, and it was cleaned up and put together in a way that made sense, Yeah, you know? Uh, also, 
Sex and the City released their, uh, is it, is it going to be a long series or just it's a, a it's a mini series. It's 10 episodes. It's kind of like what they did with the year in life with Gilmore okay. Girls, but they only did four episodes for Gilmore Girls. This one. So they're not really planning on going beyond this. I, this. I mean. I mean, I suppose if it has a lot of success, they might, but. I'm upset already. Uh, yeah, I know. We'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to let her, uh, do her little ranting about that. Um. Got some new music coming your way in the form of Rectify, E-Force, uh, Demon Stealer, Oshago, Intricated, Intricated, excuse me, Pyrexia. Also got VHS and Conjureth in there. The Rock Block, we have some new stuff from Bullet for My Valentine, Weed Pecker, Crazy Licks, and Volbeat. Um, as well as Neko's Pick of the Week, which we'll know is a reference to something else we'll be talking about. Mm -hmm. but. Uh, a lot of classic stuff in here. Now, um, before I get into my, my mini rant. Um, oh, no, he's mini ranting. <laughs> uh, Kevin Trent, thank you, sir, for being such a big supporter of this uh, podcast and a, a big fan. I, I love your little comments that you leave us. It's very cool. I know you it's love. It's really nice. I know you love Neko more than me. That's okay. That's I, okay. Everyone does. Um, your request, but you, you finally cleared up the one for your friend, which is cool. However, I'm not going to get to either one of those until the last week of December. Um, we're having kind of a crazy well, scheduling thing. Right, because we're doing this show this week, which I needed to kind of fit in some of these other new tracks that I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, and then next week, we're doing our Best of 2021 show. So that's going to take up you know an entire episode doing that. Uh, but I promise you we will get those requests in the following week right before we close out uh, 2021. So you'll get those requests in with no problem. Um, so just my little mini rant here is the life and trials of an Amazon driver. That'd be me. <laughs> so the other day, like, I go into work and, you know, let me, let me just say my bosses are very cool. Like, I'm really, really happy where I'm at. Um, but as one thing I've noticed with, I've been part of like now this is like the third uh dsp i've been part of when amazon for the last three years which is a dsp is like your particular Distri driving company distribution service provider right <clears throat> so i am very happy where i am uh they're very cool however i do notice that amazon always has problems which affects all of them in one way or the other and so tuesday i went in and apparently Amazon system had failed or internet had failed and so we couldn't even get our stuff because even though we knew technically what routes we had we couldn't pull them because we didn't we couldn't we wouldn't be able to scan them there was a lot of crap going it's on it's just like you know when you um when you get your deliveries you get the emails and the pictures that says your item has been delivered he they couldn't get into that like there'd be no way for them to get their inform they had the physical items but they didn't have the ability to and, and, and the funny thing is, is that it, you know, because like each DSP comes through throughout any given day, we have certain times that we load up. So we're busy being in, parked underneath the canopy for our, our turn for this to get loaded up. And then there's still like two and three other companies behind us that need to get their shit, but they can't get it because we haven't been able to get our shit. So basically, you know, I kind of. I think just, it was anybody after your. What cycle are you? two i think yeah so anything after cycle two and if you guys ever look at your um packages it'll say cycle one cycle two cycle three cycle four um it was only the early early stuff 
that went out on Tuesday. And it's really affected us, too, because we order a lot of Amazon here. At oh, our... it set everything back. Like, yeah, because I had, I have, I ordered a new coat, and I ordered it, I think, Tuesday, and it said it would be here Thursday, and it's not coming until Sunday. Yeah, so I went into the day basically doing I haven't got time for this Mickey Mouse bullshit! So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm going through this and we're waiting around. Like, we get in about 9.30, or no, excuse me, uh, 10.15, and then we're usually in and out by 11 o'clock. That's usually when we're leaving the station to go deliver. Uh, we didn't even leave, and that was only 14 trucks out of 30 that were able to get out uh, by 1.30. Everyone else behind us couldn't get load up. It never got solved. They couldn't do it. Uh, so I'm assuming the rest of the week, meaning this week, it's been all piled up, and this is why our stuff is being delayed because everyone else is being delayed. So you're you're thinking there's so many pieces, packages, and stops that couldn't get done that day that now it's like stack them and rack them, kind of like what we were saying Die Hard Two with the planes, you know, just stack them and stack them and rack them. But, you know, eventually, you know, again, the bosses were cool. You know, they took care of us while we were there. But, you know, I went out, got my hours in. But the reality is I couldn't. I tried to go help another guy who was a little behind. But I couldn't pick up his stuff because, again, the system just wasn't working. They're like, no, no. The way it should, which is funny because by the time I got back to the station, the shit that I supposedly tried to pick up all of a sudden showed up in my itinerary. So I sit there and go through and tell him, look, I can't do this because he still has all the shit. I didn't think it would work because it was giving me this error when I tried to do it where he was out. And I'm like 30 minutes away where I was. So anyway, it worked out. I'm sure he got the stuff done. He was kicking pretty much ass when he, when I got to him. But, uh, you know, it was just everyone trying to help each other out. But didn't have Anyway, that's that's basically the and trials of Amazon. You know? <laughs> I do have a small tidbit to share with people. Um it's a very quick tidbit that kind of just came I, I think I sent it to you which I found really interesting um, you know COVID-19 has been affecting everybody for the last you know forever it feels like you know two years ago this time I was literally in Hong Kong and Taiwan when it was kind of like starting up uh-huh. so I mean it's been it's been around now two years and we know it's not going anywhere new interesting little fact that it wasn't even something that researchers were specifically testing they just pulled this information from statistics out of um like when when you get COVID I guess they follow up with you and ask you like and it's literally things like age demographics um etc what they're finding is that number one thing is being overweight and having pre-existing um health conditions are gonna make COVID worse for you but if even though we, you and I are kind of chunky, we're in decent enough shape to play racquetball or two. So yeah, we're still active. We're still active, and we don't. Like, <clears throat> we try to eat better for the most part. And we don't have like any pre-existing. I mean, you have high blood pressure, but it's manageable. You don't have any pre-existing lung conditions, mm-hmm. so to speak. But that—that's what I say is brings it up, which makes it interesting. They're finding, and this is just statistics, it's not any kind of study where they're like shooting COVID into people and seeing what happens. It's just statistically, if you have allergies like I do, like I'm allergic to everything and it's, um, and I have, it's called atopic dermatitis eczema, 
which means if something irritates my my skin it'll start blistering and they get really itchy and then it turns like it's so gross if you want to look it up it's i have it on my feet right now people with these type of allergies are like 38 percent less likely to get covid they're not a hundred percent sure why but it's because our bodies um already I, I they're speculating our body is already in some kind of fight or flight because it's already fighting off a chronic right. thing <clears throat> so if you are a person who suffers from chronic allergies um even hay fever hay fever kind of brings it down and you're maybe more like 14 percent less um but you know how i am i'm allergic to everything environmental second they were really concerned with people who had immunocompromised systems or people taking the pill uh, I forgot what it's called true true I don't know but people who have autoimmune diseases take an immunosuppressant right does so they give, does it give an oily discharge no <laughs> but the the immunosuppressants apparently stave off COVID for some reason now they're not saying like just go out and don't get your shot or whatever but Literally, if you're taking an immunosuppressant, you're 58% less likely to get COVID than other people who are not. And um, that is something that's baffling them because a lot of people with, um, with Crohn's disease or some people who have my eczema, but like all over their body and they can't survive or whatever, they take these immuno, because that's basically is your body is attacking itself. Or some people who have um, celiac disease, they take these so that you're, you can suppress your body's immune system so you can kind of... So for whatever reason, when I read this, I'm like, well, this kind of makes a little bit of sense because I was in the heat of the moment. Like when everybody's walking around not knowing anything, they're just thinking it's the flu, quote unquote. I'm in Hong Kong. I'm in Taiwan. I'm maskless. I'm... I'm out singing karaoke with a thousand other people spitting on it, you know, you know what I mean? Like spitting on the microphone. I'm around a crowded bars in Hong Kong and I did not get sick at all. And I, some people did, but it, they, they did like, but it was more like they had a head cold or something, you know, it wasn't like, cause we didn't know what COVID was. I just found that fascinating. And I, I always kind of said, you know, when my mom was sick too, where was I going? The hospital. Every single day. Where do sick people go? The hospital. I'm, I'm like, I have been around it so much. And you too, you, were, you and I are both considered essential employees. So we didn't bunker down. And we did not, like, because I knew people who did not leave their house until they got a vaccine. And that is not an exaggeration. They did not leave their house. They did not let their children leave their house. They, they would stay on their property if they wanted to get fresh air. But this just, it, it, they, cause sometimes they have no explanation as to why people are getting it or not. Or like with my sister, Jackson was sick with COVID, confirmed COVID. She didn't get it. And Jackson is five years old. And you know what? My, the little kid, when they're sick, they just want their mom. And just in case you guys are hearing whatever noise is going on, we have a work beyond done on one side of the house. And I think actually their neighbor now is doing shit over here, but it may not pick it up, but in case you're here, that's not us, it's them. Yeah, uh, I think they're actually working in the basement today, too, which is where we are. We're in the metal tavern layer, and um, the, I, I, they've got a work truck back there, man. 
But anyway. this, this was this was just fascinating to me because I I hear all these terrible stories about like so and so got COVID and they died, and then you're like, well, I start scratching my head. Why why did my sister not get COVID? Why did I not get COVID? Why have you not gotten COVID since we've been around everybody? We we have not been like careful, except for like you know sanitizing our hands and stuff like. Oh, we've been careful. No, I mean. no, we haven't been careful by like hunkering down, and we have, no, we've but... been out and about wherever we're allowed to go. Right. We've gone to grocery stores. When I say there are lots of people who haven't even they everything was delivered. That's paranoia. Yeah, but it's a lot That's of people. That's all it is. Is paranoia. But we have totally just been like living as normally as possible within the restrictions we've been given and um you know since we're essential we've we've gone out to work every single day especially him working for amazon and um you would think and even when i was at middle river for a hot second um we had because it was a a factory basically a a shop you know there's 800 people there there was always confirmed cases all the time. They would clean up and sanitize, but I don't know. But I just found that interesting. I'm like, well, at least my allergies are, are saving me from something. Well, sometimes people have their own immune systems. That's, you know, we've always talked about how it doesn't save you from every disease that's out there, but oftentimes you'd be surprised how much of the human immune system actually fights off stuff by getting it. Like, you know, it, my mom purposely fought me with something like chicken pox uh-huh. as a kid. That was, that was the thing. So. That was what we did back then. Right. Now they have shots, so you don't get chicken pox. Right. All right, well, let's get into our first block of music. It's all a bunch of classic stuff from Elevant, Creation, Feedback, Recycling. Here's Krelizic from France with Oceana Knox. I haven't played this one in a long time. Nice. <laughs>
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. like that the newest from sex in the city but i think you should probably give them a little background on your fandom of the show and some of the things that we've talked about i'm obsessed with with sex in the city and for me there are there are flaws in things like just like in life so we look at these characters and people will complain about characters and stuff and be like you know so-and-so is such a bitch or so-and-so is this or so-and-so is that but like to me i'm not perfect i i know i am annoying as fuck like it took a while there's a new guy at work i'm actually kind of the new guy but like i'm not the new guy (laughs) there's a new guy at work and i can tell that i annoy the shit out of him but like he's really started to warm up to me because i'm like a fine wine i get better you know it's (laughs) it's not like it's like a fungus you grow i grow on you (laughs) but for me, everybody, if you've never watched Sex in the City, it started in 98. And the girls were in their early 30s, except for Samantha, who was in her early 40s, but she pretended that she was in her early Played 30s. Played by Kim Cattrall, the and, legendary. Yes, and Samantha is a big fan favorite of everyone's, but she didn't return for And Just Like That because she didn't even really want to do the second movie. The third movie got got shit-canned because Kim was like, there's no way I'm going to do this movie at all. And um, there were even some rumors, like, because the second movie is very funny. It can, like, people say the second movie is very racist. Maybe because I'm a white person, I don't know. But cause, because it's, it's set in the Middle East and they say that they're being too, like, uh, you know, I never agree with that because, look, if I go to the Middle East, I have no idea of the, the culture there. Like, So mm-hmm. everything would be a shock to my system. So, Same. Uh, I don't think these girls are any different in terms of characters. Like, they go in, they know that, where were they? Uh, I pre- how do you pronounce that? Uh, Abu Dhabi. Yes. Uh, you know, they go in knowing that this is like one of those big tourist things, tourist places that people will go to. And enjoy. it's a very wealthy part of the Middle East. And they are, they are. But culturally, it's different. It's very different. It just is. You have to cover up even if you're not part, like, there's a potential that I might be going to the Maldives, which is part of, um, it's a, it's a Muslim island. Now, granted, the Maldives is beautiful. And, um, on the resorts and stuff. You have to be on the resorts. Mm-hmm. You can wear your bathing suit. You can drink. They have alcohol. It's very expensive. If you're just in the city, there is no alcohol consumption or sold. And me, as a woman, I wouldn't have to get, like, a whole burqa deal, but my arms and my legs and my neck, like, you know, I couldn't have cleavage. Just, like, what I'm wearing right now, how it's high up on my neck, kind of, like, here, it's right. fine. So I'd have to be respectful of their, their culture. cultures if I if I was going to go. But 
it's hard if you like I've I've watched it when I was younger too, and I've rewatched it a thousand times. She's not lying. You have to look at how the show started. You know, they were all well-off white women at the beginning, and now they're wealthy white women. When you get to Sex and the City too, like they're you know Carrie is married to Big and. He is a financier, and he is, like... Miranda's a lawyer. Yeah, Miranda's a lawyer. She's a partner at a law firm at that. Um, Charlotte used to be an art dealer. So when you sell a, you know, $200,000 painting, and you get a commission off of that painting, and she married a lawyer. So these are all now very wealthy women. They used to be, like, you know, well-off women. And Samantha, she's a PR um publicist but she started her own company she actually made her boyfriend uber famous so famous of course now she's the publish the publicist takes you know you know 20 percent or whatever so she had a boyfriend who was making you know millions and millions of dollars so okay if he gets a, a picture deal for 50 million dollars uh, there was one part in, and I think it was the first movie where she's like, uh, he's not interested in doing it for less than 50 mil or something like that. She gets a cut of that too, even though they are dating. Her entire job ended up being managing him for a while because he was so big and she knew what she was doing. She took a guy who is, was gorgeous and actually very talented as an actor. She, she loved him because he was young and very, very handsome, but she really loved him because he got her. He was, he was a, you know, a recovering alcoholic. He understood, like, who she was. Jesus Christ, what is going on next door? I don't know. It's a very annoying. Is it over there? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they can hear it. Hopefully not, because I've kind of directed the sound differently with the mic. But, man, I feel like he's uh, grinding down something. Be nice to take a couple hours off. I think, I think it's over there, actually. Either way. But anyway, I um, for me, because I'm such a fan, like, I, st I saw all the spoilers. Well, I didn't see all the spoilers. I saw all the people complaining about And Just Like That. I'm also a big fan of Gilmore Girls. So, like, when Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life came out, everybody had a... There's always a problem with something. Nobody can just appreciate and be happy that we're, we're getting more sex in the city. Kim Cattrall and, and Sarah Jessica Parker have a very famous feud that's been going on for years and years and years. And Kim also, back when they were still doing the series, she was very... I don't know what the right word is. She was the only well-known name mm -hmm. when the series came out. And it turned out to be a smash. And she felt like she wasn't getting paid accordingly. And then everybody was kind of giving her shit, saying, you know, well, you're not the um, you're not the star Sarah is. And she's like, I'm not saying that because at that time when when Kim was trying to renegotiate her contract, she said, I'm not saying that. I understand Sarah's the star. And she was also an executive producer by, I think, season five. She is she is an executive producer. She is getting her money. She well, but I want my payment well technically speaking this is funny because i'm just going to bring this this comparison is back in 2000 
seven or eight, it was when Harry Potter was going into do um, Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Is that the one I like? No, that's the one with the Umbridge, who's the, the irritating woman who comes there and tries to oh, straighten yeah, her back. I don't like her. I like the I like the one with the. You like Goblet of Fire. Yeah, I like the one with 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 Cedric. But during around that time, Emma had uh, was still going to school, and she was very passionate about her school. And so, what was happening was the shooting was interrupting or conflicting with her schedule of going to school. Mm-hmm. So one, she told them, look, I won't be back if you can't work around my schedule. But secondly, those two guys who she's good friends with, Radcliffe and Rupert Grant, and they were getting paid more than her. And she says, no, we're all three the main stars of this this movie Mm -hmm. series. So she fought for her own pay to get up there where they are and also with them to work around her schedule and with her schooling. And then she went to opinion, she go to Brown or something. She yeah, went to college yeah, afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, Jessica may be like the main star. Really, the four of them are the crux of the entire series. They're, that's what it's all about, those four. And So I don't really and, and blame Kim, Kim for wanting Kim to. Kim even said, she's like, I'm not trying to get as much money as, as Sarah Jessica Parker because I understand she is an executive producer. I'm not. But I'm also part of this series now granted yeah it's not like she just has like a cameo she's in it she's like, been in it <laughs> she is a lot of people's favorites she is gorgeous and brass but i think one of the things that kim you know she's like we're not now no, i haven't gotten to this book okay i got organize my brain organize my brain organize my brain kim's biggest problem was she was 10 years older so as her character was being developed especially in the second um movie which i thought was very funny she's you know she's going through menopause which she kind of hit a little bit when she was going through chemo when she had breast cancer but she was dealing with things um and a lot of people and kim has said this too she felt like samantha's character story never really grew like the rest of the like it was all about samantha being a She's always been a powerful businesswoman. Well, yeah, they showed that her business grew. And then they showed that she got richer. But all they were focusing on was still all she wanted to do was... sexual appetite. Yeah, have sex. Because she was one of the few of the four of them that... She was very free with it. She was a player, basically. So, I mean, she did have boyfriends, but she was very... And she was with Smith for years. But I agree. Like, I I really like that... Like, I'm not a biggest fan of she is of the series, I, I, but I've been watching because of her. I've been catching episodes all the time. And I did enjoy the part where she was going through cancer and everything. I thought that was uh, a very good... Role. It was a good storyline right. for her. Like, she's living but something But you're right, real. is that afterwards, they tried to, like, revert her back to her old ways, but when really the reality It wouldn't is, even go that way. And I think that's what Cottrell was trying to point to, is, like, I'm getting so much older, you can't have me out there being, like, a 20-something trying to have sex with all these guys. And sh- and she's like, you know, now the the women are supposed to be in their 50s, and mm-hmm. I'm in my 60s. I'm not, I'm not going to be out, like, you know, trouncing around. And on top of that, like... They, I really do, because they mentioned it a couple of times in the, in the second movie. One of the jokes was she's going through menopause right now, and um, she couldn't take her her medicine that she was like to help her hormones, and she was going through hot flashes and stuff. And of course, it's Abu Dhabi, so it's eight thousand degrees, so she's mm-hmm. really unhappy, and she's so. 
Kim really felt like they just like the first movie when they when she's she moved to Hollywood and and at this point too in the first movie she and Sarah are still they're not on great terms yeah but they a... did but they did good you know because remember well they're professionals they're pro yeah and um but you were seeing Kim's business and how big Smith is and then in the second movie she's back in New York and she's happy and she is uh you know that's how they go to Abu Dhabi as one of her clients. Had, was um, it was for Smith for his movie and she was doing the PR for his movie even though they broke up and um, a shake is, am I saying it right a shake chic shake chic yeah he, he um he yeah he mm -hmm. saw what because this you know everybody was gonna say that this movie was gonna was like okay and he's like if you can make my Abu Dhabi and my um hotel look as good as you've made because it was being shot over there in Abu Dhabi maybe I can give you my business for my hotel and that's how they got the trip to Abu Dhabi and um that's all that Samantha got was a free trip to Abu Dhabi the all the other women were dealing with you know Charlotte's got kids and she's dealing with them being monsters because they're both little. And yeah, we don't have to break all that down. But that's just what I'm saying. Is like Samantha never really felt, or Samantha, Kim never felt that the Samantha character grew. Mm -hmm. And then the feud got worse. So I've only watched the first episode of In Just Like That. And Samantha's presence is clearly missed. Now, quickly, are you going into spoilers with this? I am going to spoil one real big thing. Okay, because that, that ties A real it. big thing. <laughs> so if you want to know anything about big, stop listening. Skip on through to the Just other side. Just fast forward. First of all, I was really nervous, but I knew I was going to watch it anyway because I love Sex and the City, right? And, um... I'm hearing, because I'm a, I'm a big Reddit person, and... I, I've always, like, loved Reddit because, not for all the nudes, and trust me, Reddit is a rabbit hole, and you don't want to go there <laughs> nine times out of ten, but you find the right groups to belong to. There's a good tarantula group that I have joined to watch and admire spiders and learn things. I'm in a Sex in the City group, and everybody's like, it's so woke, and so this, and so that, and oh my god this, and oh my god that, and I'm like, okay. I, it prop... It probably is a little bit more woke than what we would expect, but I, hear me out. These are four incredibly wealthy women, wealthy white women. They're going to hang out with other wealthy people. I mean, that's how it has been. And they were always saying, like, there hasn't been enough representation of people of color or this or that. So everyone was kind of bitching saying like it felt like they were forcing the wokeness on you i'm gonna tell you i didn't feel it and i don't know you watched a little bit of they did introduce some new fun characters like the one lady that 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 anthony was calling black charlotte that charlotte's like in love with she's like she's the she's the president of the pta yeah and, i didn't catch much of it um, but you but you saw her like they have this you know african-american lady and her their kids go to school together and charlotte's friends with her and like it wasn't that was not forced it was like you know the kids go to school together and 
I mean, Charlotte adopted... Uh, I think what you did, you explained to me there was a scenario where... Was it Charlotte came in to the teacher? Oh, no. Okay, so I, that's a good point. I'm sorry. So Miranda is a, is a lawyer, Harvard graduate lawyer, was a partner at her old firm, but she quit to do a lot of pro bono work and help people because she was tired of corporate law. This was during the second movie. Now she's going back to Columbia University to get her master's in humanitarianism. And so she comes in. And she sits down in a seat and all of the other students who are young, you know, like maybe early 20s because it's a master's program. So they're probably like early mid 20s are like that's that seat is reserved for the professor. And she's like, oh, OK, I'm so sorry. So she sat down in the other open seat and it's kind of like a big circle. And then this lady walks in with these this really long hair like long braids and she walks in and she's like really hip dressed like she's got the cool high tops and like the cool pants so Miranda thought she was a student and she said oh hey they just told me that that seat's reserved for the professor and she's like I am the professor and then the one thing that was a little irritating was like Miranda just like kind of had a shocked face nothing else and the professor was like, you're shocked I'm the professor. And then Miranda started like stuttering and cause Miranda, Miranda was just trying to say, she was like, well, it, it's just not that I don't think because you're black. I, I just, on the website, her faculty photo had short cropped hair, like Halle Berry, not long braids. And I think it, it was meant to me that she didn't recognize her. Yeah, she didn't recognize her. The way the her. show was designed or the scene is that it was all of a sudden they wanted to make it like, oh my gosh, she was being insensitive. Like, it, it's really kind of stupid. And it was kind of like, it was, and you could, they were all like, all the other students were looking at Miranda. It was really <gasps> trying to make her look like the old crotchety white lady. Yeah. Now they're 55, I guess, 45, or no, they're 55 and or 53, who knows? They're in their early 50s. And all of these younger kids who could be, you know, like Miranda's kids are like looking at her like she's so out of touch and she's, so, but I think Miranda just really made, I know this, because Miranda, she harped on it. She was so embarrassed. She's like, I just made a mistake. I didn't know it was the professor. And then there was another scene where um, she's down in the subway and the professor is down there. Miranda's just really trying to make amends and be like, hey, hey, hey. So the one thing I really liked about this so far, though, is you see Charlotte and Harry's kids. And um, Lily, they actually adopted from China. Charlotte was supposed to not be able to have babies. Like, I think it was something crazy, like a 16% chance that she'd ever get pregnant. And she and Harry, like, put themselves on a waiting list for a, an adoption and got a baby. And she came and she was about a year old when, when Charlotte and, and Harry got her. Now, somehow, magically, Charlotte gets pregnant in the first movie. And um, they're like, you know, occasionally that happens. So now we've got Lily, who is... Um, the adopted Chinese baby. And then they have Rose, who was named after Harry's booby. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> named after Harry's booby. And um, 
they're so different. Lily is proper and a classic acclaimed pianist. I mean, at this point, I think she's probably like 15, maybe a little bit younger. And Rose is like off the charts. Like she is, I don't like saying the black sheep because she's, she's not like shooting up heroin or anything. She's a kid still. She's like 13, but She's, she has her own style. She's not into playing piano like her sister is. She likes to skateboard, and she's teaching her dad how to skateboard at 58. <laughs> and I that is what I like to see. I, wanna, I like seeing the old houses, like the old apartments, and I like to see the kids growing up. So what did you think of the end? I hated it. <laughs> and I didn't hate it because of um, the writing. Well, I guess it is the writing or acting or anything. So Carrie and Big have had this on-again, off-again relationship since episode one, season one. There's even a point where Big is married and, and Carrie ends up cheating on her very nice boyfriend with Big and Big is married. Finally, they get married. Even in the first movie, they're supposed to get married. He gets cold feet and fucks up. And then they end up getting married at the end anyway. Whatever. He dies. Yeah. How many years has this happened now? Like from from that to this episode. How many years have passed since then? Do they say? Since uh, what um the second movie? Did they do it? They're doing it like real time because right. they're they're okay, treating so. it like because they they talked about the pandemic. They talked about like they're treating it like as if it was twenty twenty one. So the second movie took place the year that it took place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like two thousand eight, I think. Okay, so it's been that. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to get at. How many years have passed? Because they they definitely look their age now. So, all but, right. I mean, so they look their age then, and they look their age now. But like, Mister Big, uh, he he had a heart attack. Well, he didn't have a heart attack. He had stents put in. And he had an angioplasty done in season, like, five or something of, so, like, early 2000s. And whiskey, cigars, very high-pressure job. He even owns a winery in California. Like, he's a very, very rich, powerful man. Um, he has nitroglycerin pills, like, if he starts having an, an attack. But he had taken to riding his Peloton. And he, like, Mr. Big used to booze and cigars every day kind of thing, you know, steaks every day, and he had, they even made a big deal, remember when Carrie came home with the salmon, she went to the fishmonger and she came home with a really good salmon, and, um, you know, they're, they were really showing that Big's trying to make his life better, and he had been, he's like, I get one cigar a week instead of, you know, daily cigars, he gets a cigar and his drink, you know, one day a week, and... He was really into using his Peloton, and after he rode his Peloton, he went to take a shower in his fancy shower, and he was, like, grabbing at his arm and his chest. The scene was very... It wasn't like, you know, when you see most scenes where they're, like, uh, they're, like, flailing around. Oh, it had around. Necker in tears. It was, it was, like, very... Realistic. Realistic. Unbelievable, Chris Knopf and and Sarah Jessica Parker, like, pulled that little scene off so much. I was actually getting pissed off at her, but I don't know, like, if I would probably do the same thing. Like, 
Actually, I would try to do CPR because that—that's what my first instinct well, would have been. That, but first. like the phone was right there. I'm like, call nine one one, bitch. Call nine one one. But she's like just cradling him. Me, I'd call nine one one and I'd start CPR just because that's how you can't help anybody by just hugging them. And then he dies like in her arms, and it's so fucking sad. I'm like, that's what they do to him. That's what he gets. He gets to die after riding a peloton no matter how many times the guy fucked over uh carrie or anything like you know many times i'm like why is she wasting her time with this dude but because they're both dysfunctional and they feed off of their own but that's what shows you at the end of that episode is like how much they did care about each other i mean he really not pulled off brilliant on that because like i thought he was kind of already dead but he was still somewhat alive by the time she got in there and uh you know held him but yeah it was it, you know I, mean, I don't have much invested in this series but uh not the it, way i do it's a little it's a little surprising they did that this early like because uh, you know you might think maybe midway through or something but uh, what i also they right after the, the throat and the jugular we right knew away. something was going to happen to him because i've been following this instagram that has like stills and all the fashion and all and they were showing a lot of stills of carrie's old apartment and remember stanford was like i gotta go to your old apartment because anthony is driving me crazy and like those two oh my god two queens marry each other they're both very very like high maintenance um dudes and they're you know they married each other but anyway the funny thing about big's death oh god it's not it's not we're not making fun of somebody having a heart attack no, no but we're the irony is the better word well i just i went online because i was just kind of looking for any kind of reviews of the show because i i didn't really pay much attention like she did she had to stop reading because she didn't want to be spoiled but uh, apparently the company that makes Peloton, I guess they're called Peloton, mm-hmm. uh, they had been getting some flack, and I don't know why, but this is just our, our way now. Uh, their stock dropped a little bit because oh of this. Oh my god. And so they had actually come out with, like, a, an actual, uh... Statement. Statement on this, and so this is what they said. I'm sure SATC fans, like me, are saddened by the news that Mr. Big died of a heart attack. A preventive... Uh, this is Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, uh, cardiologist, and she goes, Mr. Big lived what many would call an extravagant lifestyle, including cocktails, cigars, and big steaks, and was at serious risk as he had a previous cardiac event in, in season six. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was season six. Okay, I thought it was five. These uh, lifestyle choices and perhaps even his family history, which is often a significant factor, were likely the cause of his death. Riding his Peloton bike may have helped delay this his cardiac event. <laughs> but it was like as he got off the Peloton was when he was having the the heart attack. And yeah, so like it, it's just it's kind of funny that people like are so invested in this series that they're really lashing out at a company for a particular. You bike said their the, stock took a hit too. Right, like I'm like dude are you kidding me like it's all fictional the dude's still alive chris noth is around yeah unlike our friend um who played stanford willie garrison he actually died recently maybe uh what three weeks ago if Mm -hmm. that and has it been that long it's been a little while and i don't know if they were finished with his um scenes and stuff oh it was it's september and um 
so I don't know if they wrapped up with him just yet or not, but I don't know how they're going to address his death in the, um, apparently he had cancer and he was keeping it quiet. And so it's really kind of sad. Yeah. Anyway, I, so far I'm actually enjoying it. I was just pissed off that they, they did big the way they did. Like maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I might have to just sit and suffer through it just to see what happens. I mean, my problems with Sex and City are much like they are with a lot of series in general where they have this continued up and down roller coaster where, like, I often get annoyed because, like, we'll go through a series, one that we like very much, and then we're like, oh, wow, cool, yeah, they, okay, we got all this drama, and then all of a sudden we had this nice moment, and boom, we're back mm-hmm. to all the drama. So it, it's just this up and down thing, which I, I kind of hate. So I'm, I'm like, why can't we just go like three or four episodes where everything's great, people are just having a lot of fun? But no, we gotta have some more drama here somewhere. Mm. So uh, I'll probably sit and chill out and check the rest of them out with you just to see what happens there. I'm, I'm always, I always like Kim Cattrall's character, even though she's not in it. Um, oh, and the way they address that, and they didn't kill her off or anything. They basically. They kind of leave the door open yeah. in case they ever get their shit together. So, but. they kind of make it real. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of the feud between Sarah and Kim, you know. Carrie, in, in, and just like that. Samantha was always her publicist, but Carrie fired Samantha. Because Carrie was always, like, a book writer. And she didn't think that books were the way to go anymore. And Carrie was really heavy on her Instagram. And she's doing this podcast right now. And basically, she said when I, after she fired Samantha, no return calls or anything, or to Miranda or Charlotte, and she up and moved to the UK. And there was one person who, like, kind of said, oh, and this is, this is, again, Kim probably, I doubt she's even watching it, but Kim probably, if she knew this was what it was, they made a comment, like, oh, there's plenty of young guys for Samantha and... At this point, Samantha is 63, the same age as my mother. Not that I don't think my mother is a beautiful, kind, warm soul. My mom's not going to go out. Your mom's not going to go out. Most 63-year-old people are not going to go out and just start knocking boots with people. Yeah, it's... Yeah. So, the comment, too, was just kind of, you know, off the cuff. Anyway, sorry. That's I, all right. I've taken up too much time. Nah. All right, well, we'll get back to some music here. Uh, all brand new stuff from E4's Demon Stealer, and here's some brand new Rectify. Bring it all down. It's the Devil's Playground. <laughs>
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. So we're going to finish up our review of the Beatles' Get Back on Disney+. Plus. I think we were only about... We were only like partially into the first yeah, I think episode. We, yeah, when we kind of like gave our first uh, feelings about it. So we did finish it. Uh, it's a six-hour split up into three episodes. It's got two hours per episode there. A little bit more, a little bit less than others. The thing that I find um, interesting was more than anything we know how old this footage is it's from 1969 and we know that media degrades over time especially mm-hmm. magnetic media and it must have been stored in the most beautiful like it, it's crystal clear well one thing you and i did or tried to do we went to try to look to find a copy of uh, let it be that was released at the time i mean that's what this originally was meant for was right. the let it be documentary which was only an hour and a half ish long and you figure i guess from what jackson was saying the entire amount of footage shot was eight hours so to get it down to an hour and a half it was, was... only eight hours yeah I thought they were filming for 31 days i guess they didn't film constantly yeah not constantly but uh you know uh even some of the stuff that we were watching with Let It Be, I think it was like Vimeo or something. Mm-hmm. We were um, it was a little grainy. Like, if you watch this, like, we saw similar scenes that we had seen throughout Get Back. And what Jackson did and his crew were able to clean up a lot of that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you would literally think those guys were doing that, like, today, mm-hmm. the way it was shot. Like, I kept saying to myself, man, dude, this is crystal clear. Uh, these guys look young and vibrant and like I, I felt like Lennon was still alive watching it like it was really crazy um, and Harrison right all of them uh, so basically you have what is and Neko will probably explain more because she's the bigger fan but you have these guys who just lost their manager uh, who was his last name's Epstein mm-hmm. <laughs> no relation uh, yeah <laughs> Epstein apparently took, he was very creative with the direction that they went he, when they hit big he got them there and he knew what to do he saw them playing in clubs and he molded them into the personas you know the mop tops the matching suits uh-huh. the very early 60s mod looking and because he, he saw how talented they were, and we see that in this. They're, they all play multiple instruments all the time. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things to pick from this, and we talked a little bit about it when we were giving us our first impressions of it, and there's this dynamic, uh, all very talented, but really it's the crux of it is McCartney and Lennon, and then Harrison is also a piece of that, but he's sort of still like the outsider because... He's the youngest, He and, and McCartney always kind of called him my, my baby brother. Right. 
And so we talked about how, you know, Harrison had kind of gotten to a point where he needed a break. He, he left a band, uh, kind of felt like he wasn't being utilized or his ideas taken seriously enough. Because as, as, McCartney and him all came into this, and Mark McCartney was saying, uh, you know, our, our manager's dead, so now I kind of feel like I'm the boss. I've got to kind of get us on track. Because they were kind of going directionless. Apparently, they hadn't done things in a, like a couple of years, or at least a time period. When was the White Album released? But McCartney is telling the rest of the group, you know, look, uh, I kind of feel the onus is on me to... No, the White Album re was released in 68. Okay, so it's only been about a year. Yeah. But you have to realize between 62 and 70, because one, um, Let It Be, was the last album released, and I think that was released in 70, even though they're recording it in early 69. 69 right. And um, between six, so eight years, they recorded 12 albums. That's a lot of work. Yeah, and so, but back then, when you kind of go this period of time without any music or anything new, they kind of think, oh, what's going on with the Beatles? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get to some of those things. Uh, I don't know if it was in the doc itself or if I read it, but anyway, uh, McCartney's like, you know, look, I need to kind of get us focused. We need to get. He's just as bad though when he gets off track. Oh yeah, they all are, and but now, and that's sort of that's sort of the thing because, you know, they each have some really good talented ideas for songs. They they all got them in their own repertoire. Like they're like, you know, I've got this that I think is good. Harrison says I got this, and it's kind of funny because. Uh, Ringo Starr, who's the drummer, he uh, is talented. He, he can do piano and other stuff he like that. He played guitar, piano, right. yeah. Uh, but out of the four of them, he was like the only one that was, if you watch this thing, he's the only one that's really kind of like just laid back. Everyone else seems a little on edge, except for Ringo. Ringo's the one that's kind of like... I, Ringo just, he's like, I just want to work. Right, and so this little paragraph on Atlantic here, uh, kind of talking about the series, actually nailed it, how I feel about Ringo. He says, you find yourself thinking a lot about Ringo during Get Back because he is the quietest and the stillest and the most camera aware. His face, his melancholy deadpan, is a permanent reaction shot. The other three are in the huddle, eye-to-eye, fur-to-fur, at ground level. But Ringo's up on his drum riser, arms loose in desolate re repose, in his characteristic rubbery slouch. He is waiting. He is waiting for something he can drum along to. Then out of nowhere it happens. And then he just starts. His perfected, ponderous groove, the lead and splash of his hit hi-hat, his beautiful, shapely, shapeless fills with mysterious swing. And then it stops, and once again he is watching and waiting. Uh, and that's kind of like when you watch Ringo throughout this, like, he, he's not, he's not engaging with any of the tension of the other three, he, and usually when those guys start kind of getting into their little ruts or their disagreements, Ringo kind of just disappears, he's just kind of like, you know, chilling somewhere, uh, but there's some cute moments. Uh, the young girl who is part of Linda, Linda's daughter. It's Linda's daughter. Heather. Comes and she's kind of running around the studio a little bit or whatever area that they're she in. Liked, she liked Ringo. Yeah, so she's goofing off and her and Ringo and Ringo's making faces to the camera. Like they said, he was very camera aware. He was. The other guys were kind of like just looking at each other. They, you know, they saw, knew the camera was there, but they were just concentrating. Ringo was like, that's right. 
just me. Yeah. I think that's why he had all those really cool outfits on. Like every, I'm oh like, yeah, he always like I think big he, poet's blouse. I would not, even though they had done films before that as a band. Mm-hmm. I really think he was kind of just auditioning himself for what was like, coming. Look at me. Yeah, cause, I'm awesome. You know. He, and remember when little Heather was playing drums with him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't at first. You're kind because of, they're shooting from above. He's got these the sound wall there, so that you know that's how they kind of muffled the drums a little bit. Uh, you couldn't see her, so a, a part of me during this thing thought that maybe Paul didn't see her behind her, oh, except for the giggling, you know, that she was doing. And he's like, "All right, now with the drums," and she's like, "Right, right." So yeah, there's some really it's really cool to see this like. We didn't finish watching Let It Be because it's just it's really tough to watch, just mainly because of the quality of the, the film that you can find. Uh, but I can already tell that the reason why people really disliked it was because of the way that it was edited. Like this, what Jackson did is far superior. And I mean, I know you can't go and stick a six-hour movie into a movie thing and expect people to wait around and watch this all day. However, for what it is on this, on this format, works perfectly because... You can come back to it at your leisure, mm-hmm. uh, but it gives you so much more of what you were looking for. We like, I think they didn't even address George leaving the band and let it be. Like, no, they, they didn't. They just pretended it didn't happen. Right, and that, and that's a key moment because you know one of the things that it's always brought is like, why did the band break up? And one of the things that Neko and I were watching throughout this was uh, each of them had their own love interest whether it's a wife or a girlfriend or whatever and even though they would come and go and hang around on the set they weren't as a fixture as uh yoko as <laughs> that yeah that's that's yoko right there she is basically the asian ghost haunting john lennon I, and neko can attest to this Every scene that Lennon is in, she's almost right up his ass. Like, it doesn't matter where he is in the fucking... If he goes to play drums, she's right there, right by his side. If he's on guitar, she's right there. And there was something I had seen, I think it was on YouTube, actually, um, where it was a voice audio of McCartney during this whole thing, Mm -hmm. saying that he was kind of pissed that Yoko was sitting on the amps and... It actually wasn't included in the doc, but it basically McCartney was kind of saying, like, look, you know, I'm glad John's happy. Uh, I'm happy for them. But, you know, the fact that she's always, like, right there is a problem. And you don't really get a sense of that in the doc so much. I mean, it is kind of a, you can kind of tell what their body language it is. Not John, of course, but uh, one thing Neko brought up was I think a lot of times or at least for most of the John and Yoko are probably high as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Nobody talks about it. There's not a lot of um, articles about it, but those two were doing heroin a lot. Yeah, and so maybe that was just John's way of kind of coping. Like, like you, you couldn't tell because it's really weird because Lennon and McCartney had like a really good bond like musically like they just kind of knew each other uh that's what made it frustrating for Harrison but uh one thing that we kind of laughed at a lot about uh which again I don't think was included in Let It Be was 
after George leaves, it was sort of like this like meltdown with the band. Like it wasn't like, and this is what I want to get to this again later, but you know, after they've seen that George leaves, they all kind of was like, mm, okay, well we'll call Eric Clapton, maybe he'll come do it. And then they proceed to go back to try to write songs, but then it turns into this like free for all where Yoko starts doing her screaming and stuff. And the guys oh, are playing yes. various instruments and they're hanging from the rafters and they're, they're clearly on drugs. They're just, they've decided that this is the rest of the day is going to be shot. So they're just kind of like fucking around doing a whole bunch of shit. Um, yeah, it, it was really kind of funny, but Let It Be didn't even allude to that. So again, it, well, you got to think Let It Be was released when they wanted to keep their image. And, right. and that's probably why. This, he went through all of the footage and he wanted to make it feel like, you know, what was happening. He wanted to really capture what was happening back. And it was, it was um, kind of interesting watching how they would work out songs because like, um, Paul was always the harmonizer a lot of times, so he was singing higher than John. So I, and then <laughs> I remember that one part where John's like, wow, that is, because they made his part, he's like, that is quite high. Like, John was singing high, and then Paul was even singing higher. And, <laughs> but you would see, like, when they were working out the music part, they weren't even really singing. They were, like, uh, nonsense talking, going like, Blah 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 blah, and they're you they're just working out what they want to do musically. Like when so if you're watching Get Back during this session, they took songs from this and put it on Let It Be and on Abbey Road, and I do think they had one more recording session that they did for Abbey Road, and Abbey Road was actually released before Let It Be. And, you know, so they released two albums in one year, which is insane. That's so much work. And how, can you imagine trying to be creative like that, like nonstop? But the one thing I I told you, one of my favorite Beatles songs is uh, Something by George Harrison. And watching him, he's like, well, I've been working on this little thing right here. And I just, I don't know what to say. I know what I want it to sound like. And then they were like messing with the words. Like he and John and Paul were like kind of like riffing back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then they then, but they're, they're typical like dudes, like Harrison's 25, they're 29. And they're like, just, just t like joking and stuff, like making up nonsense lyrics just to be funny. Um, well, you know, I, I thought about that. And part of it was, I, you know, I think they did some of that. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to fill in the gaps on how they wanted the vocals to sound. Mm -hmm. Like, like it wasn't... No, you're 100% right. That's what they do. They wanted to get the... They didn't have any lyrics, so they were just kind of like... They wanted to go da, up da, da, and down and yeah. up. And, or, like, I think Paul needed to take a break sometimes from actual singing because if you're spending, you know, 10 hours a day at a studio and you're singing and singing and singing, like, last night when we were watching Devin's uh, performance at Bloodstock, um right before he sang detox he's like spraying chloroseptic in his throat like it, it does take quite a toll on your voice singing like that i was just watching everything unfold and watching them because you think about you think about the beatles right and mm -hmm. they're like bigger than life 
you know, they're, these are not just the Beatles. These are the Beatles. These are people that have elevated to a level that are insane. I mean, think about the level that they're, that they are. But they acted like just normal people coming in in t-shirts and jeans sometimes. Except for Ringo. Ringo was always there in his flowery. Was, well, it, was it him or was it George that came in in the purple suit and I was like, oh my god, he looks like Prince. I think... It might have been George, but George also came in like a big-ass fur coat. Oh, every day, <laughs> that big-ass fur coat. Um... Yeah, and so like, but like the writing process for these guys was kind of funny because outside of the tension with George, like they really were pretty quick to, to get stuff going. You didn't really, the interesting thing about the doc was you never really knew if they actually had any songs in place or not because, but towards the end when they actually do a live. The rooftop recording. When they actually do that, the songs are great. Like they, they, they sound in full, they, they've got everything in order, so there's still probably a lot there that the doc never caused, like in terms of them structuring each song the way they wanted. Because you see them kind of go through Get Back, a song like Get Back a lot, mm -hmm. uh, but you never actually hear the entire song or how it's actually going to be the final, the final product until that rooftop playing, which they played like three times, uh, that particular track, because it was a new one. Um, the song The Two of Us uh, by The Beatles, um, you saw them... It was that kind of like, I don't know if you, I don't even have it. My, my, um, oh, I'll, uh, vamp, oh. vamp for a minute. I, I want to play the beginning because this will make you, um, will they even hear it? Maybe I got it on 90. So remember in the documentary, how John was always fucking around going and, uh, tonight, the Rolling Stones or so on this um, the way he uh, started was on the actual album he oh I don't want you go away ew Ed um, I don't know if you can hear it people skip Ed hey, man, I'll be able to hear it All right. God damn it! You had it. Just let it play. No, it didn't. It, it... I ain't nigga pygmy by Charles Hawtrey on the Deaf Aids. <laughs> Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they practiced that beginning. We saw that how many times right. over and over, like because that is a serious three-part harmony between John, Paul, and George. And but that little clip at the beginning is him, John, because the whole time he was always just like making an announcement, like before they would start playing. Well, one thing I noticed about both McCartney and Lennon, they were kind of like the, you know, you would. <laughs> You always think of Ringo maybe being the comedian of the bunch, but those two guys were actually pretty funny. They always would uh, imitate like characters. Uh, and strangely enough, McCartney would do that occasionally too, because he's 
I guess McCartney would do it more when he's like singing. He'd start fucking around with like the way he was singing something just to be yeah, silly. He would do like a lot of Elvis. Right. The Elvis was yeah amazing. Uh, where Lennon, he would do exactly like that. He'd start just doing some weird accents at the beginning of stuff. And or... you and you heard that like for first like three seconds. It was taken from that. And they put it in their actual album because they all just liked it so much. Oh, and the other thing that was interesting about this was... Hmm. Uh, hmm. <laughs> uh, I heard that in a while. I know. Uh, I haven't brought that out. Was that Lennon was a little bit more political than the rest of them. So, like, some of the stuff that Lennon would come up with had a little bit deeper meaning in that, in that sense, whereas... Well, Get Back is, is supposed to be a protest song. Right. So, again, but they can ask a collaboration with them all and all that stuff. So, uh, but Lennon seemed to really like the more political driven stuff mm-hmm. as, you know, opposed to maybe Harrison or somebody else in the band that was, you know, personal strife or whatever. But uh, I, I found it really interesting that you could really see their, um, you could really see their personalities. Mm-hmm. Like, and you could feel like when you knew it was, who was doing what in in the song and i'm talking like everything down to ringo playing the drums and and george you could you could hear his influence there's a reason they are who they are Mm -hmm. there is no doubt that they are this you know acclaimed band it's holy shit dude (laughs) it's not and i know some people think that the beatles are overrated I've been kind of obsessed with them for years and I've, I've always been really uh, like my mom always tells the story about she had all of her Beatles albums out on her um, bed and my uncle sat on them and broke all of them and she was <laughs> and she was dev- Uncle Cliff <laughs> and she was devastated um, for me like watching this I, I have the Beatles anthology one two and three and I'm like, I really should probably go back and give it a re-listen because I got it back in 94, 95, whenever it came out. Like, And it was kind of an expensive present back when CDs were like, you know, a regular CD oh, yeah. was $25. So a double Beatles special a edition, a double special edition Beatles CD I'm sure that my grandparents spent $100 because it was from Pop and Mom. And $100 on two CDs is insane. And they were like, really? But that's what I wanted. Like, they're like, sure, this is what you want. And I didn't care. Like, that's what I wanted. Like, Well, I said before, I think that it's always like a time and place. So, like, you put the Beatles out today against some of the other stuff we have. They probably are overrated in that respect. But then again, the sound probably would have been ten times different because we're in different age. Back then, they were playing pretty much what was... Back then, they were um, they were popular, and they got popular by doing what Brian Epstein did mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. But they used their popularity to get creative with their music. We saw like when when they went to India, like George really took that. Like he is all into the hard krishna and they but interestingly enough you know george became vegetarian then 
Paul has been a vegetarian for years because he's very against abusing animals, which I think everybody is against abusing animals, but, like... Paul's like, welcome to the bandwagon. Yeah, he's, like, never... And it was... Remember, like, they were all just like, I just want the veg, whatever the veg of the day is. So, I, I don't know about John. I mean, I think his veg of the day was heroin, but who knows. And I also hate speaking out of turn because I don't know anything concrete because John was beloved and he died tragically by being shot by a fan in front of his apartment in Manhattan. Like, it's the most bizarre and recent. It's the anniversary was the 8th, so two days ago. Mm -hmm. Like, most bizarre thing. The one thing, though, like, because there was a lot of strife between, it was 1980, um, between 1970 and 1980, between John and Paul, um, not as much communication over that decade as between the previous decade, but I think Paul was kind of at peace with his relationship with John, mainly because their last conversation went okay. Mm -hmm. But remember when I was telling you that John and Yoko broke up for about 18 months and he was with his personal assistant. It was he and Yoko's personal assistant. And um, while he was with her, you know, he hadn't seen his, his son Julian in forever. And um, she was the one who, and Julian is from his first wife. Um, I forgot her name. Crap, Kathy, maybe? He was, she was, he was from her, his first wife, and, um, they really wanted to keep his first wife and son, especially during the hype of Beatlemania, quiet, because they wanted the girls to think that they could possibly have a chance with John. Keep the, uh, Keep the, the allure, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that I forgot her name, it was May something, but anyway, his, she encouraged him to start reaching out to old friends and stuff. And this was early 70s. And he did. And then Yoko weaved her web back into his life. Because, if you know, Yoko... Like a black widow. She, I mean, she really kind of sectioned him off. And we've noticed that just, like, in the 70s, that's kind of seemed what happened. Like, every time when she came back into his life, she would really, like... I'll say this, um... I had seen an article the other day about this a little bit, about this doc, and one of the headlines that they put in their article was, everybody owes Yoko an apology. And I'm like, do they? Do they really? I don't think so. Now, I'm not saying Yoko Ono is a bad person at all. Um, I'm not even going to say that she's the reason why they broke up. No, John is an adult. I, I he just, is the one who needs to conduct himself as a... But I am going to say that you know, John was still a professional uh, band member, and I do take issue with the way that she car carried herself during this. Like, and I'm sure it was the same way when they were either touring or whatever, because I don't know how long they were together, but before this. I mean, apparently Yoko was in a car accident when they were doing some sessions for the Abbey Road recording. They actually brought in a bed for her so she could 
lay down while they were practicing. Yeah, you know, and some of that stuff to me is just, it's really over the top. And I mean, I, I'm not, again, John really loved her, obviously, same way with her and him. But, you know, there, there are, I think there just has to be a mutual respect. Like, you got to know that he's there to conduct business, not to keep you by his side like a little lap dog. It, it, that's just, it's very unbecoming uh, for anybody. I honestly feel like... Because Linda was there a lot, but yeah, she Linda was, was back behind mm-hmm. the thing, letting Paul do his thing. Uh, even the other girls with George and Ringo, like, they'd stop by, but they weren't sitting in their laps while they're trying to get work done. And I always just felt like that was one of the things that was really ridiculous, is that Yoko couldn't give John that space. And, of course, maybe John really wanted because I've, I've heard that John is a very possessive guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe he wanted her there by his side all the time, but that to me is just a pain in the ass. Like I couldn't deal with that as a band. So, you know, you're making you're making some points here because, um, I mean, I could just see how Paul or George or anybody would see that and say no. But you, I, I'm really starting to think now because remember, his first wife was saying that he was he could get violent, he could get angry, he could get get um, possessive. But then he'd be like, I'm sorry, baby, you know, oh, it was just whatever. I think you might be right. I think that Yoko really enjoyed the possessiveness, and then John liked the adoration, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a mutual thing, and then, um, you know, it just kind of worked for both of them because they were both like... Yeah, right. but I can see why the rest of the guys are like, this is weird. Like, no, I weird. can too, but... Again, this is John's job. It is, and that's not why I think... Yoko's job. So John, they right. would need to talk to John, and John would be the one to be like deal well, with it. Right. It's not Yoko. Her. It's not. Yes, Yoko's up his ass, but it's John's responsibility to be like, listen. The other guys would like you to sit in the back. I would never say that. Hey, look, baby, I love you to death, but you need to sit over there. With that. The that's girls. what I mean. Like he, if if there was a problem. It needs to come from John, because but he she, but, is the but, member of the true, band. True, but she's also old, old enough and adult enough to know that like it's just a little off-putting and a little weird. But I think I think in a lot of ways, and this is just a side caveat to that, is that she wanted to be part of the Beatles in some way. Like she just wanted it. Like unlike Linda or any other women that were involved with these guys. Yoko is the one that seemed to be like, oh, well, I'm a Beatle. I'm one of the ones. I'm not really out there with them, but I'm a, I'm a Beatle. Like, Let me tell you something. Linda got a lot of criticism um, when she joined Wings. They're like, well, fuck them, because if they watched her in this, they would know she wasn't like just after. No, no, they criticized her because they're like, she she doesn't deserve to be in Wings. She shouldn't be doing this. She doesn't know how to play piano but she was playing like synthesizers and stuff oh she shouldn't be doing this or oh she's here and she's she's i feel like all of the wives were at one point in their lives kind of treated like they were a hanger on well there's definitely a different time Mm -hmm. and 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 really in yoko's defense like they entertained this idea with her when they allowed her to get on mic. <laughs> so we kind of laugh about it, but the Yoko is basically your early version of a black metal rough singer. I, I said that Danny Filth, he 
his muse is Yoko Ono. He's got right. the long black hair. He sounds just like her. I mean... So, yeah, you know, so even though I don't think Yoko deserves any kind of, like, apology, uh, I don't really think she was, like, the crux of why they broke up. I don't up. think she's the cause of why they broke up. I think there's a various amount of things that went into this. Because, uh, you know, obviously George was a, was a big part of that because, again... You know, he had ideas that Paul was kind of, like, jealous of. Like, when George would come up a riff, you can literally see Paul's face. Like, that's good, but, like, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, he doesn't really like not being the center of the band. He doesn't like when, you know, because I think Paul, in his brain, is the Beatles were... It was a Lennon-McCarthy thing. Right. It wasn't a, yeah, yeah. a Harrison... And Lennon. that's why they liked Ringo, because Ringo would never, like push back Ringo would just play whatever the fuck mm -hmm. they want and they liked that because Ringo wasn't worried about writing music really he was just there he'd write some but his biggest thing was look I'll play drums you just tell me what you want me to do and he'll go do it he's a very easy flowing guy and everyone likes him and that's cool uh George though had a bigger vision he's he's your guy that's like yeah but I want to progress beyond this guy let's do this you know and Paul really didn't want to do that. Like, they obviously had new ideas, but they wanted to kind of stick with that old Beatles sound. The one thing I, I really did enjoy, though, is when George came back and they were, he was introducing some different sounds. Like, he played the mandolin on Across the Universe. And, the anvil. And, oh, God, the anvil. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. That Maxwell's Silver Hammer is... <laughs> It's the song that every Beatle but Paul hates. Like, and they've gone on record saying, like, right. this is the worst thing I have ever been well, a they part spent of. a lot of time on it making that fucking song. Mm-hmm. All right. It's, I could talk about the Beatles all day. Yeah. I really could. Um, my final thoughts, though, are if you are a musician or an, an admirer of the Beatles, it's it's very... I mean, like, even if you're a musician and you're not into the Beatles, you really get to see their brains work and how things start coming together. Um, Alan Parsons. I forgot about Alan Parsons. So, they, during the, the documentary, um, they would, when they were, because they would fuck around and they would, like, we were talking about, sing Elvis Presley songs, sing, you know, other, because they really liked Motown. And at the bottom, it would say, like, you know, the song and who wrote it, even if it was their own song. If someone came in who was part of the crew, uh, they'd pop their name up, and I saw Alan Parsons. And I said, is that the Alan Parsons? Or is it just some dude no. named Alan Parsons? <laughs> I'm like, it's probably too coincidental not to be him. Like, and it is him. He, he, for years, um, worked with lots of artists doing sound mixing and producing type the Alan Parsons project <laughs> and that's when he came I mean he did his own project clearly but when that came up I was like what what did did we touch on the woman who um the article about the woman uh yeah we're, we'll skip that okay I'm yeah. sorry yeah this is this feels like a very missy heavy um episode so no because we, I mean, it, it wasn't much to it other than the fact that we did find an article eight days ago from a woman who actually witnessed this final concert on the rooftop, and uh, 
they did have actually a still picture of her being taken from somebody else, obviously, that she was in the picture to prove that she was there. Uh, but she was basically just saying that she was working one day down in central London and someone told her to go check out what was going up in the stairwell on the roof because something was happening. They heard the music and that's when she said she went out there and it was the Beatles playing. She said at the time she wasn't like a big fan of the band but became a bigger fan afterwards. But she said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of left towards the end. It was like under an hour they were playing, but she said it was so loud that I knew the police would be coming soon. The police did come. Yeah, and that's a funny thing just to watch that interaction. Oh, I did want to say one thing, Chris, we keep... I know, on, one more, and one more thing. Is that the most interesting thing you will find about this doc when it comes to the relationship with the band members is when George leaves the band, he literally gets up, says, yeah, you guys can find a new guy. I'm just, I'm going to leave in the band. There's these discussions between the guy shooting this film, this doc, and I think Lennon's there as well. Uh... And he's just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to come back. It was no screaming. There was no throwing of instruments. I mean, in America, our kind of like breakups go nasty. Those guys are the yeah, most polite. It was a polite breakup. It's yeah. like, I'm done. I'm going home now. Sorry. Yeah. And, the, and the band even went to George's house a couple of times to try to work it out, which eventually they did. But it, it's like nobody lost their cool. Like this was the most polite breakup I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> For a short period of time. And it's like, you hear the horror stories of stuff like David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen or other bands where shit just gets ugly. Like, you know, they just trash each other or whatever. These these guys, George was like, no, I'm just polite. You know, I like these guys, I'm, but I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like George did that, but then after they, they decided, you know they were going to relocate and they were going to focus a little bit differently. And then they came to him and said, this is, we've, this is what we've done. How do you feel about this project? And one more thing about this. If you didn't know, let it be the reason why there's a documentary, the reason why they're doing all this live practicing is because it's, it's live. They're not um, recording track by track and mixing like a lot of, I mean, nowadays you have your computer, you record, you mix, you adjust. They have a thousand machines and if you, wires are everywhere. It, it's, it's like a labyrinth of wires and it's spaghetti. It, it's insane. And um, what their concept was 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 really interesting and this is kind of it, it didn't go fully to fruition because their idea was they were going to practice they were going to record the entire album live during a concert well that was part of the frustration with george is like paul and them couldn't come to a guaranteed conclusion of what they really wanted that's why they started out twickenham and ended up in the apple studio because you know, they 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 were they every time you would think they had a plan in place, it would fall through. Mm -hmm. So eventually, they did. Like I think Paul was actually kind of bummed at one point because they they the live thing they were supposed to do somewhere else. And then at one point, Paul was like, kind of like, 
let's throw out the live element. Let's just focus on the albums. But then George and John are like, they want to play they're like, live. no, let's do the, the live thing. That's a good idea. So eventually someone came up with the idea to go on the roof and that made Paul happy. So they, you know, they figured they'd do that. It's well worth it to check it out. Uh, and one thing the article I was reading said was even if you're a casual fan or a big Beatles fan, it's very worth your time because it is interesting to watch this dynamic because these guys are legends. I don't care if you like the music or not. They are legends. Uh, and they're one of the earliest versions of great rock that you'll ever see, even if you don't like the music. But they are uh, all very talented. Um, as Neko said, they all have various personalities that you will find intriguing. Um, I was very impressed by the doc. And I was really impressed by what Jackson did to clean it up and how he edited it. It's so much better than what we had seen with Let It Be. He edited it in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. That's the most impressive part because I, me, I'm assuming, you know, it's, it's 31 days. They're working nonstop except for like, they had like one little break because they were trying to get George yeah, to there come were, back. There were times that they would go into the weekend. Now towards the end of their 30 days, they would usually work through the weekend, but prior to that, they would actually take the weekend off and come back on the Monday. Uh, but it, it's something to check out and we're going to jump back into our music here. What do we have coming up next? Brand new stuff on Pyrexia. Intricated, and here's some brand new Ashego. This is Clerics of Corruption. <laughs>
shows i had a rock and a hard place which i'm still gonna do but i'm gonna do that when i have extra time but i wanted when i brought the hordes of chaos back i wanted i, I love rock too much and and all the subject too much not to have it involved like even though my time right now is kind of limited uh to incorporate at least some rock into these uh shows is kind of important plus the labels and promotional sites I work with don't always send me just metal bands. They send me rock bands as well. So. Well, I mean, back to REO. You saw that REO Speedwagon, Styx, and Loverboy are set to have the live and unzoomed tour 2022. Now, hopefully... We can squeeze that into our year next year because I'm going to be leaving in probably late January. That's when it looks like the next crew changes. And I am going to get on and stay on as long as I can stand until I get home. Dream world and dream mentality. I haven't done this in a long time. I mean, I haven't traveled since um, September of 2020, right? That was when I came home. So... I don't know how I'm going to, I might cry again. Like my, yeah. my first job, God bless him. My first, and he does this every time. He We've did. been over this. I know, but I really cried. Like I was so upset and then I was gone for four months and we were, he's like, oh, it's only going to be 45 days. You'll be home. And no, no, I was not home in no time, but hopefully my dream would be to be gone January to early May. No. Or late April. I mean, we'll be able to squeeze Early it in. Early April, because the idea was to go on that trip. It's only it's only like a week and a half long. I know. And Maryland Death that, Fest is not until the end of the month of May. So even if I get home early May, I get that free time, quote unquote, home. So I get home, we go on our road trip, come back, then I'll have off at the end of May. So anyway, but... Hopefully we can squeeze in REO, Sticks, and Loverboy, since that's my uh, personality on the... Loverboy is my personality on the racquetball court, since I wear a headband. Well, we'll see. 
But here's some brand new bullet for my Valentine called Knives. Oh shit, really? Oh shit, yeah.
For a place to take care of all your automotive needs, then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
true to our, uh, since we just finished the Beatles documentary. And what I picked this week was something that Anubis had never heard. And um, back to my Beatles anthology that I keep talking about. It's one of my most prized possessions. Um, I have, it's either a two or three set um, anthology for each for each like set of CDs and this song was something that John wrote and he sang in the 70s while he was um, raising Sean and um, what was interesting about this is how great they were able to take his vocals that were recorded and then the rest of the Beatles were able to turn it into a, a complete song. And when we watched the video last night, or the night before, you were, we were... I actually watched it again, like, either yesterday or the day before, and I was like... You're picking out little things. You're like, that's, yeah, that's Yoko and John dancing, and that's them when they're running out of Shea Stadium. It's like all these little clips that they superimposed over like everyday things and you're like it was it was really well done uh -huh. and I I just again I was really into the Beatles and having something new and something fresh that they could put out was amazing and it just shows you what you can do like this documentary series this song you know, this is the mid-90s, it was in 95 when this song came out, um, that when you, you can take something and really are capable of cleaning it up, editing it to sound like John was really there. You know, they, they did his vocal track and worked around it. I'm very impressed with i like the song and you were like yeah i've never heard this and you were like it's good it's good it, yeah. it is it's really good it's really beatles like it, it was it's something um it is very lennony more than because the one thing with the mccart like lennon and mccart well, they all have like their own staple to each of their songwriting so the one thing with with mccartney that they were because lennon and mccartney work together all the time but the mccartney heavy things are like hey jude maxwell silverham right they're they're a little bit more um i don't want to say like bouncy but that's the best way i can put it like it's like a bouncier sound when you hear with lennon it's very soulful you can tell when like i know let it be is paul singing mostly but you really hear the John influence in the song Let It Be. So this song is called Free as a Bird and it was posthumously, am I saying it right? Uh, humorously. Humorously released after um, John passed in 1995. So 15 years after John passed, this is something that was recorded, I believe, mid-70s. And um, it's pretty amazing. I think you may not think it is, but I I think the ability to have this kind of technology to do it, um, and the ability to take a small piece and and make it feel like John is still 
mm-hmm. with us. So without further ado, please enjoy The Beatles, Free as a Bird. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Audio Jump. Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw and real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace big rockabilly fan but the way they incorporate metal and rock and with the rockabilly sound mm. it, it just works and it's the last couple of records have been really fucking good uh i really enjoy them a lot and all the guys that i um work with who like rock and metal so funny story when i was out with some guys that i hadn't worked with before we were driving around and they had you know how like pandora if you put in like Pink Floyd station. It'll play like some Pink Floyd songs, but also like Pink Floyd inspired. So I guess he had his Pandora like on the Volbeat station, and a you know a Volbeat song came on, and something else came on. I was like, "Hey, do you have any more Volbeat?" And he's like, "You know who Volbeat is?" I'm like, "Uh, yeah." <laughs> Hello. So it was kind of it's kind of fun to see when you play Volbeat for people. They're just completely accepting of it i i don't know if it's because they're uh, awesome or amazing or just that there's well, something about thing... his vocals that's what it is it's something about his vocals and the way that he syncopates the way he speaks like well one thing about him too is they they're not afraid to do collaborations with metal artists like mm -hmm. king diamond barney from napalm death I mean, yeah the barney one is really good yeah so they you know they they integrate with the metal scene a lot more even though we know we talked about dave Grohl being involved in certain parts of metal he doesn't really do that with food fighters so Volbeat's different. They bring their rock, and then they also integrate metal and mm -hmm. like other artists uh, in the metal community into their stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, and so our next topic, uh, we we clearly enjoy a lot of the Marvel movies, at least most of them. Some we don't we like better than others, but uh, even when it comes to the shows, we kind of discussed it before about Loki and WandaVision and all that. But I came across an article, uh, avclub.com, that basically ranks from worst to best all the Marvel uh, TV shows. So this could be Netflix, or it could be Hulu, or it could be whatever. 
And uh, now there's a chunk in here that I didn't even want. I didn't know they were Marvel. Never heard of them. I never seen the show. So I, we won't have any opinion on any of that stuff. But there were some others that you and I liked that I I know there's some that are ranked much too high. So I'm kind of curious where your thought process will be with it. But uh, we'll get started. At 19, okay. it's something called Hellstrom. Never heard of it. No idea. I mean, they do give you uh, little descriptions of what they're about, but I'm not going to dive into all that. If people want to check it out, like I said, it's on avclub.com. Uh, just look up, you know, Marvel TV show rank and worst to best, and then you can figure out what they are about. But I've never heard of this series at all. Uh, What's it called? Hellstrom. H-E-L-S-T-R-O-N. Hellstrom? Yeah. Hmm, I haven't either. Uh... 18, Inhumans. I actually did like this. And I'm trying to think, though. I think this is the one that initially when Disney Plus came out, this was one of the first ones that was up there. So I don't even remember. You've never seen this. This actually apparently debuted in 2017. Uh, I didn't catch it till it was on Disney Plus. I actually kind of enjoyed it, but I think it only did like one season before they quit. Um I oftentimes got kind of confused. I, I almost mixed this up with the Eternals, which recently came out, but they're totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seventeen is the Gifted. It's another one I've never heard Me of. Me either. So what the hell? Right, I can never. It's supposed to be Marvel, though, you know. So I don't know. Uh, Sixteen Iron Fist. I am aware of this one on Netflix. Um, I think I. At one time, when you and I were watching Daredevil and Punisher, I started mm-hmm. trying to watch some of the other ones, like Jessica Jones, uh, Iron Fist, um, and stuff like that. I attempted to watch like an episode of this, because I know they all kind of tie in those three. Uh, but I didn't get into it, and so they consider it like the 16th worst of the series. So, uh, yeah. No loss there. Uh <laughs> 15, again, never seen it. Marvel's Runaways. I think this is actually on Disney Plus now, but I, I again, I have no interest in it. Is it like a Disney show? Like for- I'm assuming so, because I'm looking. These are very, very young kids, so uh, it almost reminds me a little of um, the last uh, X-Men movie I saw, the one that has uh, Anya Taylor Joy in it, and like, it's about kids again. Like, it's the mutants that's what it was mm-hmm. so it kind of reminds me of that in terms of like looks and all that uh 14 cloak and dagger again, again you know? how is it how is it that we don't know any of this and, and the thing is i wonder if any of these actually are supposed to tie into any of the movies in any kind of way like is there any reference or uh do they mention any of the avengers or anything like that like even if it's not much about them are they tied in in some way? I couldn't tell you. So anyone who listens to this podcast, if you have information on this, feel free to let us in on this, whether or not they are. Could be totally separate entities altogether. 13, Marvel's The Defenders. I am familiar with this. Uh, we watched, I, I don't know if you did with me or not, this is where they brought Daredevil, nope. Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones in. Nope. Uh, I don't have a problem with the ranking because it was kind of a lackluster when you think of when we went to see Avengers when you brought in all the big names, mm-hmm. that movie rocked. Like, it was exactly what you wanted. It was explosive. It was funny. Mm-hmm. Great acting. I don't really have a problem with the actors in this. Um, 
however, it wasn't as impactful as I thought it might be when you start bringing all these heroes together that mm-hmm. fight together. So, yeah, it was kind of a lackluster. I don't agree with this. Uh, even though I've always liked Warzone with Punisher, the Punisher series to me is pretty good. Uh, much better than some of the other stuff that's out there. And they've got it ranked at 12, so I'm really disappointed they put it that low. Uh, I really enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, 11. Marvel's M-O-D-O-K Modok. I've never seen that. And it looks almost like a, almost like Lego animation or something. It's but, like blocks. Yeah. Apparently a lot of these, some of these have debuted on Hulu at the time. Uh, 10. What if? I This is on Disney. I know what it's about. I just never sat and watched them. Uh, it, it all deals with it's animation, so it all deals with like, what if uh, Captain Marvel or Captain America was uh, agent? Uh, who's the woman that he was in love with? Carter. So it poses the question of what if Agent Carter become Captain America instead of Captain, Captain America? America? Right, but it's an animation. It's oh, but each each episode is different. So like the other, one of the other ones that someone mentioned was like, what if? Thanos had won, you know, so it's like... What these, if? Yeah, there's all these scenarios. Well, Thanos kind of did win for a hot second, I mean... <laughs> right. <laughs> Before uh, the Avengers went and, like, fucked up the timelines. Uh, nine is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I we started watching that. Yeah, it, you know, I do like Coulson, the, the main uh, agent who's part of the big MCU universe, and uh, it's an... I'd be interested in going back and visiting. I just it's a matter of priority mm-hmm. at this point, so I don't know if I'll ever get back to it. But it, I'm surprised. Actually, I'm kind of surprised it, it started in 2013 and went to 2020. So that's actually pretty good for that TV series to do that. Uh, eight Legion. Never heard of it. Well, I actually heard of the name, but I just I don't you didn't know. realize it was Marvel, right? Uh, seven the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, this might move up a tad for me. I don't... I forget what's in front of it. Um, but, uh, actually, I know one that's in front of it, which I know is worse than this one. But, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> so, they have that at seven. Um, you know, I did have some issues in terms of uh, enjoyability with it. I mean, we did enjoy some of it, but not all of it. I feel like it could have been so much better. Right. Like. I really feel that the storyline that they created, I'm, this is why I will give it a second season. The storyline is forgettable. Like, I really would need to read a summary to kind of, like, get my brain back to what happened. Those two are funny together, just period. So I thought that they would kind of do, like, a lethal weapon. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah, you know, well, but maybe they get to that point in season two. I don't know. Like, it is, we, you know, we did kind of expect more of a buddy cop type thing going on that didn't initially happen. But then they also had all these other things going on. What are you looking for? Chapstick. Oh. Sorry. And then they, uh, you know, like, I do have a big interest in the guy they have portraying Captain America now. Like, I do like that character. I like the the controversy surrounding him. I, I That I kind of felt was interesting because he was supposed to be... Because Falcon... Perfect, yeah, Falcon death. did what he thought was right. He handed over the shield and then they made a new white 
sparkly teeth Captain America, but he's not a super soldier. All he is was just like a piece to show around. Look at him. This is Captain America. Now, interesting. I'm just going to pause here quick. Um, okay, so you never saw Black Widow, so this is all new to you, but you remember in this series at the end when uh, they were trying, I forget the actor's name who plays Captain America in this, but they're trying him for the crime that he killed that dude out mm-hmm. in the wide open when they were all doing their cameras and whatnot. And it was Julia Dreyfus that came up. Her character is in this where she comes up and she's like, I got something else planned for you. Like she got him off the hook. Mm-hmm. Well, she showed up at the end of Black Widow. Uh, there was. Oh, really? Yeah. So Florence Pugh, who we like a lot as an actress mm-hmm. from Midsommar or whatever, she played Black Widow's sister. And apparently Black Widows are like their own collective of assassins. This is why Natasha's so, you know, she's not the only Black mm-hmm. Widow. So at the end, they had the Easter egg where uh, Florence Pugh's character is there at her gravesite of Natasha. Because mm-hmm. this is after, obviously, when she's dead, uh, Natasha. So Dreyfus' character shows up. And I kind of forgot about it at the time until I'd watched the last episode of Hawkeye. But Dreyfus goes... Well, would you like to know who's responsible for your sister's death? Uh-huh. And so at the end of the fourth episode, uh, the fight between Maya, the, the girl with the metal leg, uh-huh, uh-huh. is fighting both Bishop and Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. But there's another party there who's in full costume, ninja costume, fighting as well. But then you see the ninja person, like, fighting Maya a little bit, like, trying to push her away. So there's, like, two different people trying to kill them both. Or at least killed Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And eventually uh, the ninjas unveiled it's Florence Pugh. And Hawkeye knows who she is. And this is in, in Black Widow. Uh, this is in Hawkeye. Okay. Oh, but, oh that's but, I just fell I fell asleep during that episode. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know if you even watched it. Um yeah, you did because you left, you went to bed. Mm-hmm. Um not that it was not that it's a bad episode. I just it was very late and I yeah, was like she I She has to work early. I, I get up at five for work and I was really trying because episode one and episode two of Hawkeye slow. were a little slow and I was getting bored. Episode three, I'm like, Yeah, this is what I'm talking about and then episode four I really wanted to watch and I watched like the first twenty minutes and he's like, Babe It was like midnight. He's like it's like twelve fifteen, I'm like Okay, I'm going to watch it. And then I started falling asleep down here. And I'm like, if I fall asleep down here, I'm going to be really sore. Because we all like curled up in a ball. And it's fine because I'm old. But I went up to bed because I caught myself like doing the nod. Like Mm -hmm. I'm like doing the, oh, it's late. I'm nodding off. So I will, I think what I'm going to do. We can revisit it. I want to watch all of Hawkeye again because... I was so disinterested, except for the fucking Avengers musical. That was amazing. <laughs> but I was very disinterested because I didn't feel like they gave this, I don't want to say a lot of thought, but it felt like we're just going to throw up something. Especially well, somebody brought up a cool point about this, uh, as opposed to, maybe it was Rick Myers last night, I think. Uh, it's all humans. It isn't. You don't have Thor. You don't have. And and that, I like strange. that. Yeah, and so it, it brings like a different element to what we're dealing with. So. But you can also write humans interestingly. That's why I was like, are they really going to do this to Hawkeye too? Now that you've kind of like like 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier are, are basically humans, too. They do have to be careful with the whole, like, Hawkeye struggling with Natasha thing. Like, that's sort of what killed uh, Bucky Barnes with his past trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand you have to address it in some way, but they kind of dwelled on it at times, and I just, I think we're kind of beyond that, and that he should have been beyond that, because once he was saved by Steve Rogers and Black Panther, they had him on ice to, to fix him up again. Mm-hmm. Really, and I think the sister, the younger sister we, we always, like, gloat about, Oh, yes. She uh, deprogrammed him. She's, she's uh, the Q. Right. So I think with Hawkeye, they need to be careful not to drag that on too long uh, with his, like, you know, emotions and whatnot. Like, I know that, and, and that's the thing about this final act of the episode four, is that I don't think Hawkeye knows who Florence Pugh is exactly Natasha, but he knows she's a black widow. Okay. And he got really worried. Because he knows that now they're after him for whatever reason, which he probably just figures it's because of Natasha. So he tells Bishop, he's like, "You can't be with me. You gotta. Eat. We're not partners, not anything." So he lets Bishop walk off. So that's there's that tension again with those two, where she's trying to help him out, and he's kind of like pushing her away because he want doesn't want anything. He, he's he's stuck on his thing where he doesn't want people around him to get hurt. But, mm-hmm. But Maya had actually had all his family names on her pad in her apartment. That's what they were trying to find that watch. So, yeah, you, we'll probably, you know, when you get time, you can go back and watch those, and it will start to piece together a little bit. But the fact that Florence Pugh showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense now because of what Julia Dreyfus' character had done at the end of Black Widow by telling her, like, I know who killed your sister. <laughs> like, even though it wasn't true, like... Black Widow sacrificed herself for that stone. But the way that Dreyfus is kind of playing these characters, uh, she's got some pretty bad intentions, I think. So. I think you're right. Yeah. So anyway, they have Falcon and Winter Soldier at number seven here. At number six, Luke Cage. This is another one that was... We started watching it, and the thing is, like, with Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, I love... Um, Chris, I forgot her last yeah, name. Kristen. Yeah. I've seen her in so many things as a supporting actress, and she's always been hysterical. I mean, she was in Gilmore Girls. She was in the B from Don't Trust the B in Apartment, whatever. Yeah, two hundred one or some shit. But what I really love is she's she's so funny in anything she does, and I really wanted to like Jessica Jones. We tried watching it. We tried watching Luke, Luke Cage and. It's not their fault that the story just didn't... Again, I might try it again. I might. Like, I... I... Well, yeah, those three other movies, like when you had Daredevil, Punisher, and then Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones, you kind of get excited. You're like, wow, they got a lot of good content, and we could check it out. But we even got, like, three or four episodes into Jessica Jones before we were like, I just I can't really get into it like it's very difficult and you know we iron fist was a no show altogether but luke cage like you said we tried an episode two still couldn't get into because there was actually this relationship between cage and jessica jones so they actually had something to build on a little bit there but uh yeah but anyway they had that at number six so i'm not even sure if i really feel that's better than winter soldier at all at this point no i don't i think winter soldier is better than luke cage 
Number five, Agent Carter. This is one I really would like to go back and watch. I, we didn't. We watched the pilot, and that's it. Yeah. We didn't watch it. Because so I liked the actress, and I liked her in the Captain America movies, and I liked the story with her and Rogers. And, so I'd be really curious about this. I think it's probably more of a detective-type thing rather mm -hmm. than superheroes, but uh, it would be. it sounds interesting. But I don't, again, I can't rank it above Winter Soldier because I currently haven't seen it, but maybe it's better, maybe it's not. Uh, number four is Jessica Jones. I I don't get it. It must be like how long it. We only gave it a couple of episodes. It probably gets better. Yeah, well, a lot of people have said that out of the three that we mentioned, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, that this was actually the better one of those three, and people kept crowing about it. And uh, but you know, again, maybe it's something I have to revisit at some point. Uh, number three, Daredevil. Definitely high enough. Mm -hmm. I, really I liked Daredevil. I mean, like, I, I thought there was going to be more Daredevil because I liked it so much. Yeah, I mean, that was probably one of the more successful of the, 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 the whole other groups in there, even more than Punisher, and yet they ended up stopping the seasons with it. Uh, you had the girl, I can't remember her name, the redhead from True Blood in there was very good. Vincent Nacrio as Kingpin was great in there as well. Uh, it just had a lot of promise, so... Yeah, I love Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin, like, a lot. Mm -hmm. Number two, Loki. I love Loki. Yeah, I know what number one is already, so, like, I kind of already... I don't have any problems with one and two right now. These were two best, even so far better than Hawkeye for me in terms mm -hmm. of, like, what we enjoyed. Uh Loki really opens up a whole lot of shit. It's a whole different world. Right. So, you know, depending on where that goes, but that's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, number one, WandaVision. Which I loved. Which is very good, too. I think a lot of people kind of gave up on it early. Maybe that's what we did with Jessica Jones. But uh, the thing about WandaVision that hooks you, though, is that the whole TVA, uh, old school TV mm -hmm. aspect and how it progressed for the Well, it's decades. WandaVision, so they treat it like it's a TV show. Sitcom, yeah. But, uh, again, that ends to where we know that she's going to interact with Doctor Strange in his next movie. So it's very cool. And it's, you actually get to see the birth of uh, Scarlet Witch here, so... Uh, I've always kind of thought, oh, she is Scarlet Witch, but they actually don't address her that until the end of... WandaVision. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I don't really have a problem with one and two there. Um, even Daredevil probably liked it more than Winter Soldier, so Winter Soldier will probably come after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was kind of funny how, I, how they had some things higher than others. I'm like, eh, you know, I don't know about all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back into our music. Uh, some more classic material coming your way. We got some Saddus, Hellway Train, and here's some suicidal tendencies.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. remember and what I just recently learned is they released the original which is an R-rated version and then after the original was PG I thought no the original is R okay and when the BG soundtrack took off they edited Saturday Night Fever again to be a PG version and I'm pretty sure most of what I watched when I was younger was, you know, just on TBS or whatever, was the PG version. And I'm even some of the stuff that we watched today, because we just watched, <clears throat> excuse me, the rest of it earlier this afternoon, we watched the director's cut, which was the first for both of us. But you haven't seen it as recently as I have, and as many times as I have. Uh, like, I could do a whole fucking thesis dissertation on Saturday Night Fever. I could break it yeah, down. Yeah, we don't need that. But <laughs> I didn't realize that they purposely released two versions because the Bee Gees, I, I, I just, I, it's like the chicken and the egg thing. Like, was it because the Bee Gees music was so good that it propelled this movie into stardom? Or was it because this movie was so good that it propelled the Bee Gees soundtrack? Mm-hmm. You just don't really know. Well, but, I, I think it was more of the music. Because uh, if I recall, 
I'm trying to remember. I don't think the movie really caught on as much as people had I thought. I mean, if you had a different soundtrack, it would not do as well. Like, no. At no. all. No, the Bee Gees had become so big at that point. And really, again, you know, Nick and I have talked about before, the, the period between basically 77 to 80, disco was huge mm-hmm. everywhere. In fact, so huge that I forgot that even in this movie... They actually put in songs that I was more familiar with. Not just the Bee Gees stuff, but other songs like Disco Duck. I had forgotten they were even in there. So <laughs> They weaved a little bit of everything. You know, They had that A Fifth of Beethoven. Right. They had Burn, Baby, Burn. Boogie Shoes, all that. And, like, I kind of guess, I guess at the time I just kind of, you know, remember just hearing mostly the Bee Gees stuff. Not really realizing they actually had all the mm-hmm. other hits in there. Which makes sense, which is good. Because it is all during that time. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing about Saturday Night Fever is that over time I've learned that just from re-watching it and reading about other people's views and opinions on it that the movie just has a much deeper thing than just the dancing. That's what really got kind of overshadowed by the Bee Gees and the dancing. So we'll back up for one second. Let me give you the quick synopsis. Saturday Night Fever is a 1977 American drama film directed by John Badham. John Badham also directed some great things like Dracula from 79, Blue Thunder from 83, War Games from 83, Short Circuit from 86, and Stakeout from 87. So, well, War Games is great. So this was Thunder. like he, these are like his hits. Yeah. The 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 six that I just named, and basically it's it stars John Travolta as Tony Manero, a working class young man who spends his weekends dancing and drinking at the local Brooklyn discotheque. Carolyn Gorney as Stephanie Mongaro, his dance partner and eventual confidant. Donna Pascal as Annette. Now the funny thing about Stephanie Mangano is she was kind of a working actress and she was 31 i don't know if you realize that but she was 31. john travolta was early 20s but she was 31 and it was just by luck that she got this job by sharing a cab with somebody and she was just kind of saying i'm a dancer i'm an actress looking for work she got the audition she got the job so uh Karen Lynn Gorney was beautiful as Stephanie. She she really pulled it off. There are so many emotional scenes in this movie between Stephanie, Annette, and John Travolta's uh, Tony. So, Tony is a champion dancer. Like, that locally. was... Locally. He's like, he's like a Brooklyn like, king. Like, he doesn't have trophies or anything, but... He's like if he walks in a club, they know who he is. He's the king of his club, Mm -hmm. and his circle of friends and his weekend dancing really help him kind of cope with life. He's got this dead end job, and his dad lost his job. Yeah, his dad lost his job. His parents are always arguing. He's got a really young sister who you know she's just going going to middle school. He's got his brother who he was. In the clergy, he was a father, and now he quit, and it's just... It's devastating he, to the family, because they all wanted... They very, all very that, Catholic family. Yeah, and they all felt like the older brother was somebody who made it, like, beyond where they were. Like, you know, I don't want to say they were in the ghetto, but they weren't, like, 
I mean, Brooklyn back in the 70s was not Brooklyn what it is now. Right. And so there's a lot of racial um, tensions, and you we saw that with the mm-hmm. the Puerto Rican gang and, and everything. And the references. And yeah, that. like, they're very free with the, with the spick word, which... Well, the N-word, too. And the N-word. God, I can't believe I said spick and not N, but... Anyway, <laughs> I, can't, I like. Well, but we know what you mean. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. So there's some derogatory references, but again, it's all in context of the movie. Because the they're trying to build these racial tensions right. because, <clears throat> like, all these neighborhoods in Brooklyn are kind of like little corners for each mm-hmm. quote unquote group. I know probably for half of my life. I never saw the R-rated version. I saw the version that they just put on TV, the PG version. And then I was in college, and I was still living at where my sister lives now. And the way our, um, you know how Tyler's room is in the back? That's where my sister and I shared a room. The front room, because it was smaller, was our computer room and our like spare friend sleepover room. The computer was in there. I had a rolling kind of TV thing, and my grandfather, Hank, who lived with us at the time, he said, hey, miss, Saturday Night Fever's on at 8.30 tonight on HBO. Excellent. I had a paper to write, so I took and turned my TV so it was in my doorway, and then I was sitting at the desk in the other bedroom, and I could, like, look and watch, and I turned it up so I could watch it and work on my homework. You know, like, what a college student would do. That was the first memory of me watching the R-rated version, because I actually stopped doing my homework, and I'm like, this is me, here, here, doing my homework, scuffle, 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 scuffle. I don't remember this. I don't remember this and what they did is they cut out a lot of the plot because they had to because there's the n-word the s-word the c-word nakedness rape all kinds of things that are cut out because they wanted to make a mass market movie to showcase the dancing and the songs and that's what everybody like kind of always associates saturday night fever with is it's a dance movie you even said it yourself I always just thought it was a dance movie, and then when I watched it and saw how deep it really got, you're just kind of like, well, shit. Like, yeah, it's actually a very dark movie in some aspects, um, especially like towards the end when, when you know, they have like an instance where. Annette is really into Tony. She wants to be with him. Uh, unrequited love is the worst. Uh, but then Tony, who's taking interest in Stephanie, you know, for a couple reasons. One, he's attracted to her. But two, uh, he's trying to escape his own life. Like, he, you know, his parents and his brother, the mm-hmm. issue there. Uh, he loves them all, obviously, but he's still trying to escape that neighborhood and everything else. And then he feels like he's lower class, and he sees Stephanie, and he feels like, oh, she works in Manhattan, and she's beautiful and a great dancer, and she really. Well, you definitely see all the insecurity throughout mm-hmm. the film because, at one point or a few points actually, you know, she'll be 
just dancing with another guy who he knows and he's like no no what's going on here you can't be doing this that dude's a whore man he's only after you to get in your pants and he's very jealous right and he's but he's you know he's a 19 year old so you know you you do have to like remember they are young young adults and when you start seeing what's going on you just kind of like have to stop yourself and say okay i did find something interesting though all right uh because i always generally go to roger ebert's reviews just to see where he's actually you know rated these films that he does and whatnot that we talk about so two things uh ebert actually gave it a four out of four so he really enjoyed it good uh so i'm gonna get to some of the stuff that he talked about though which i kind of understand but uh siskel is this is one of his favorite movies ever not mine too yeah but one thing that uh, Eva brought up was, and it's not a bad way, but you and I really just got done finished watching the second part because we got to kind of pause it. Uh, towards the end, there's like this scene where there's always this, this this back and forth between Annette and Tony because she's continually trying to get him, which is really continually trying to get him to make it with her because yeah, it's it's she loves him yeah like she is and, and for love. people that in a modern day with you know you'll look at this and you'll say oh my god that's so terrible why is this woman doing this or, yeah but haven't you ever been on the receiving or the having haven't you ever been on annette's side of unrequited love and yes the answer is you have with right Kirsten. And I, no i get it and that's the thing like uh, you know, she's willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, she gets to a point where she's, like, telling Tony that, well, I guess I'll just make it with so-and-so. And he's like, no, you're not. Get that get that back seat ready. Give me the keys. So he tries to go. He doesn't actually end up, end up having intercourse with her because, you know, whatever else comes up, he's either... Because she... Oh, asked, that's right. He was like, are you... She's not He, on he said, are you, are you fixed? Yeah. yeah. And, like, and like she's cat, like... Are you fixed? No, because she is 19 as well. And he's like, what do you got the... He called it the IOU. <laughs> it's the IUD. He's like, do you got that IOU thing? And she's like, no. He's like, are you on the pill? And she's like, no. And she's like, I don't care, Tony. I love you. Like, she wanted to get pregnant by Tony. Almost to trap him, to force him, because she knows he comes from a very uh, strict Catholic family. Right, and that plays that, a part, mm-hmm. because Bobby C., who's one of his buddies, ends up getting his girlfriend pregnant, and that becomes another story within itself. But, uh, the, really, the conclusion of like the movie, I'm, we'll, we'll kind of backtrack a little bit with some other stuff, but basically, Annette is kind of frustrated because... Tony dancing with Stephanie in the final dance thing. They have like a very romantic kiss and it's a very, very beautiful dance done, executed beautifully. I was telling Anubis just because of my dance background, I was like, you know, I know how Tony feels like he's like, oh, it wasn't as good as the other people, but it is very technically sound. They're doing very classical ballroom style dancing mixed in with disco and it's really good like they showed another couple and they were just kind of like grooving but then there were some high kicks and some dips and stuff but then after them there was a puerto rican group 
that they were pretty spot on too. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so at that point, you know, Annette's, you know, she's drinking a lot, taking some drugs. To and try she's to... watching. That's the thing, too, is she's watching. Right. So then it just becomes apparent that she's going to try to get it on with the buddies of Tony, like in the car. So literally they're driving to wherever and in the back seat she's getting laid with one of the guys in the group and then they pull over and then the other guy gets yeah, in she's, there. Yeah, she's like being gang banged. But there is this moment which it's very interesting because she's all in like she's with more, the first guy she's more than happy to have sex but then like he doesn't pull out <laughs> he actually uh, ends up having an orgasm in her and i think the look on her face is like oh my god what did i just do mm-hmm. and but then it gets worse because the second guy rolls around into the back seat and she's not really down with it anymore like she th- and she's cr- right sobbing so tony who would just sort of kind of forced himself on Stephanie, not really intentionally so much as he was just like, he's, he's going through his own emotions and shit, and he really likes her, but he was forcing himself on her, and luckily she was able to convince him. She kicked him, him in the balls. Right. So now he's in the front seat watching or hearing this shit go on with her, with Annette in the back, and he cares for this girl on some level, obviously. He's friends with her, but he doesn't want to date her right. or, or make it, quote-unquote, with but her. But he doesn't do the right thing. He doesn't stop the shit from happening. He's kind of like saying, and even after it's over, she, he's like, did you get what you wanted? And so he's kind of like... like, yeah, now you really are a cunt. Right, so he's basically rubbing her nose in it and making it her fault and... All the wrong things. This is the one thing about Tony throughout this entire film when it comes to women is that he's not very good at it. Yeah, it says the wrong things a lot of times. He gets, like we said, he has a huge jealous streak. So, like, he'll, if a guy's dancing with the net or with Stephanie, he gets pissy and walks away mm-hmm. and leaves. You know, he's just typical. I've been there. I know that. So, but not for that reason, like for different reasons. But, uh, but then at the end, like, you know, the one thing that Ebert points out is that there is this understanding where Tony is more than happy to leave Brooklyn for the better life and try to build his own life and become friends with Stephanie, like, not even in a, a romantic way. Yeah, because he's like, can we be friends? And she's like, can you be friends with a woman? Right. So, yeah, it, it is sort of this, like, growth for Tony. But there's also what Eber calls there's this unresolved issue because this all happens within 24 hours with the, between the rapes and uh, or the attempted rapes and rapes and then of course the death of Bobby who ends up jumping from the bridge because he himself he, he is doing right. But you know this young guy is shorter than the rest of them. He's sort of like the fourth wheel. Uh, he's been trying to get people to kind of listen to his issue because he's very just devastated with getting his girlfriend pregnant or a woman pregnant that he doesn't really want to get married or have a kid. And then she doesn't want to get an abortion. And this is 77, so it's right after abortions became legal. Right, and I'm assuming, like, he doesn't have, like, a good job or something. He, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure he likes his girlfriend, but he... I mean, he's it, just not ready. He's 19. They're yeah. all like 19, 20 year olds right now. He's not ready to get married. He's not ready to be a dad. He's scared. And he, you can tell the entire time that 
it feels like everybody is friends with him just because he has a car. Right. I mean. Right. I mean. I mean. They do like him because one, the, the bad shit happens, like they're devastated. But it's sort of like their own doing because they they kind of blew him off and ignored him when they can when you can clearly see he needs help. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs someone to sit there with him and, and talk to him and explain to him his options. Um, but they don't, and then by the time he, he falls, it, it's too late. It was like, really funny, too, because, and I'm not saying funny like, haha, it's funny that he, he died, but, like, he goes from climbing the scaffolding and dicking around to hysterically sobbing Mm -hmm. and you've got tony out there and double j out there trying to coax him off of that narrow metal part of the bridge and you know you saw from behind where double j was kind of like trying trying to get him like he's like i'm gonna grab him at least and tony's like come on man come on man we're gonna talk we're gonna talk and he's like you never called me but at first, he's digging around like the rest of the guys, and then they see that he's going a little too extreme, because normally he just sits in the car while they're all fucking around. Well, that's the thing, because he, even when they get in the fight with the, the Spanish guys uh, over, and we won't dive into why, but they get into a, a fight, and instead of helping out, he's taken off because, like, he's... One of the guys jumped in the car, tried to jump in the car, so in order to get away from the guy, he, like, took off. But and... it was a combination of things because he didn't want to fight. He, he, he even told uh, Double J, like, look, there's, like, seven. There's four of us and seven of them. But he's he's trying to think about, well, what am I going to do because I've got a girl mm-hmm. and a kid on the way. So I can't be going and doing this shit. So he's thinking, which they don't care about. That's part of the problem of why this kid is so stressed out is because every time he tries to turn to somebody to help give him advice or talk to him, they, they just, they're not doing but it. But his death really clicked in Tony. Yeah. Because he was like, I'm going to get my stuff and I'm, I'm leaving. I'm coming here. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Like, because he's like, his environment was not what he really wanted and and that's the thing like stephanie was one of the people that you know said look you stay here you keep doing this you're going nowhere and that's basically what his buddies want his buddies don't want to like advance themselves and even though uh for a while tony is the same way uh tony's older brother who quit the clergy he uh he told Tony, I said, look, man, you're a great dancer. You should capitalize on He's that. like, do something with that dancing. Right. Get out of your situation. And he said, he, he said to him, too, when he was leaving, you have to do something that makes you happy or you're never going to, you're never going to have a good life. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be chasing something. The name of the bridge was the Verrazano Narrows Bridge that... And it's, it's a very prolific bridge in this movie. It, it really symbolizes Tony's new beginning. It, it symbolizes Tommy's death. But, I mean, how many times was that bridge part of the scenery? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that one scene where Tony's like, yeah, just drop me off here. 
and he stops at the park and he looks at the bridge and he's just kind of drawing it with his finger remember and then um when he and stephanie had that little fight because he was helping her move and um stephanie was kind of living with slash seeing an older gentleman from her office because she needed help because she didn't know what to do like she got a job and she didn't know what to do and she said he always helped me and i didn't know what to do what was i supposed to do and she just felt like she had to do whatever this man wanted her to do and as after they're done taking her stuff to the apartment and tony was kind of yelling at her and she started crying he he calmed her down and took her to the little park bench and calmed her down by talking about the bridge like you know well the bridge i think is a symbol a symbol of him wanting to escape like that's one thing you breaks up about the bridge itself is that Tony often talks about it because like, he knows what's on the other side of the bridge. It's freedom. So that's sort of like the point of contention and maybe Bobby's death is sort of like that crossroads. Like Bobby probably could have even though he, he, he never talked about it, he could have gotten on the other side of that and maybe been free and done something else but he fell and that was it. Like that was his, He was at his crossroads and failed to either go back or go forward. Mm-hmm. So Tony, after all this, said, you know what? These guys are bad news. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go to the, the other side. I think after that, though, remember um, Joey, he was the first one to have sex with Annette. And, like, Annette was traumatized that night. She she, <laughs> she had sex with one guy. She had just got gotten raped. Got in. And Bobby and fell. And then Bobby fell. She got raped by another guy. And then she sees somebody fall to his death. And um, we kind of see subtle changes in their their demeanor. Like, Joey, like, has his arm around her, and he's comforting her. Yeah, like, we were talking about that. Like, I think, you know, we hope, because we don't ever see the outcome of that, but we hope that this, at that point, Joey is kind of like, okay, seeing what happened with her just in general. I, like, I don't think Joey's even aware so much of how she felt with the uh jj uh, double j on her but the after effects he understands like he was much more comforting in her taking care of her mm-hmm. double j was still being himself he was really the... and then john travolta didn't even get in the car he just got <laughs> on the subway and he rode all night and then he decided he's going to manhattan and he begged to be friends with stephanie this movie if you watch it in its entirety and we watched the director's cut so there was i mean it was a, over two hours so there were so many extra scenes which are very much worth it you have to understand that a lot of people kind of brush this movie off just because of the disco and the dancing but they don't realize this is an inner struggle with every character in this movie yeah tony's mom Husband's been out of work for seven months, and Tony's been working down at the paint store. You got Tony's dad, who's out of work, and he feels like shit. And then his dad gets offended because the mom said she's going to go out and get a job because Tony's dad can't work, and Tony Tony's working. 
and then they have a big fight and big blow up at the dinner table. You got Tony, who is the typical middle child. You got the the oldest child who is the superstar and, you know, now former priest. And Tony is struggling with, you know, he always said that. He always was said that he was shit. He was treated like shit. He was said he wouldn't amount to shit. And there was a nice prolific uh, statement where he said um, to his brother, you know, Frank, if, if you ain't if you ain't so good then maybe i ain't so bad mm-hmm. and and he started that was kind of well, like where the wheels really started yeah, turning then that was close to the time that i think it was the night that they found out about frank that mm-hmm. tony lashed out at his mom he's like because they were really it was like the world had just ended but yet they parents had kind of forgotten about the, the tony and his sister like it was almost like well frank was his best thing since sliced mm-hmm. bread and so they were making this big ordeal. We've seen this in other movies portrayed as well, and that's what really made Tony angry. He's like, yeah, okay, Frank's leaving, but it's not the end of the world, and we're still here. You know, we're still helping out. So he, he says some pretty nasty things, but, you know, he was right. He apologized, which, you know, is good on him, but, you know, he was angry. Like, it's he's tired of his parents. You know, he's already getting shit from the rest of the the world basically now his, his parents are treating him the same way so he tells his mom look okay frank's imperfect and so now you'll know i'm not that bad that's basically what he's getting at so the film even if you're someone who's not into those kind of films like it's much more than just dancing like in fact you could fast forward through the dancing scenes and then just look yeah. at the drama. Yeah, I technically had to watch him because he's actually They're really a great fucking good. He's yeah. a he is a trained dancer, and um, fun fact: I, I told you the biggest part of the budget was, was that floor. That floor because it's all like um, lighted, mm-hmm. and they oh, it is so seventies. It's just phenomenal oh another fun fact which i just learned because i was looking at different um stories about saturday night fever when they were in white castle mm-hmm. and they were acting like assholes right they didn't tell the white castle employees that they were filming a movie oh really and you know the one woman who had like the mm-hmm. face like the shocked like jaw drop face he, uh i think it was double j actually mooned her they didn't show it it like they edited it out of the movie but they were acting like just total morons so they wanted general uh, they wanted like genuine reactions yes and um i found that i mean they were they were just being i mean you gotta think i remember what an asshole i was after drinking all night and going to denny's and demanding coffee and a milkshake and a moon over my hammy and you know back in that day back because we're old you used to be allowed to smoke in denny's and but they had like a smoking section and a non-smoking section and the smoking section was like encased in plastic so we would go back in the back and smoke but we would all like we I smoked like cigarettes, but all the guys smoked cigars. So it was like seven guys with disgusting smelling cigars, and they weren't even smoking them. They were doing the thing where you like, <laughs> so it, it was like cloud filled 
yes, I understand why these waiters and waitresses hate us in the middle of the night, because we're all assholes when we're drunk and smoking cigars at 2 a.m. I mean, I, I just, I've it's always... It's worth it. Check it out. Watch it a hundred times, like me. I mean, I... I don't even watch it a hundred times. Just check it out. I told DJ Anubis, I'm like, I could totally do an entire like dissertation on Saturday Night Beaver on everything breaking down the dancing breaking down the emotion breaking down like the one thing that I appreciate about the director set designer costumer there's a lot of small details you know this is an Italian immigrant family and they had the grandma living there you know which is probably the mom's mom mom and dad the three the two of the three kids all living in the same house and grandma says two words manja manja and that means it was when everybody was fighting and she's like hey manja manja and that means just like let's just eat like literally and then the part where he comes out doing the al pacino thing in his little like briefs and he's going out and his poor grandmother's like holding up her her kerchief like trying not to look at him these little details really kind of make the movie more special his his necklaces are so italian catholic i mean oh, like it's, yeah, it's, yeah it accents everything super super perfect um again this is the dj neko version of the metal tavern radio podcast so we've got saturday night fever we've got the beatles we've got sex in the city next week gilmore girls i mean no, i don't even that. know what to tell you like this has been a real neko heavy week and i'm sorry i know not everybody likes the things that i like but too bad saturday well <laughs> i was gonna say saturday night fever May not be everybody's cup of tea, but it was actually designated a historically cultural. Expand your horizons. You expand your horizons, horizons your way. Horizons. I'll, I'll expand my horizons my way. Honestly, though, uh, Saturday Night Fever has was uh, designated a historically um, important film. What? Because it's a time capsule for discos. I mean, it, it it is, and it's a it's a time capsule. Like they really, I feel like they made me feel like I lived. But that. I'll tell you this, and I was trying to get to this deal earlier. Oh, that, sorry. No, is that for those that had seen in the late nineties, uh, Studio Fifty Four, which dealt with that particular disco tech place that you know Mike Myers was in and uh, uh, Ryan Felipe and all them. It's easier to uh, for a film to be kind of accepted when it's out of its element. So even though Studio 54 was uh, about the studio and the time period of disco, it was done in the 90s where people can kind of look at it and like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of cool. This happened back then. Mm -hmm. The hate that Saturday Night Fever got probably was more to do because it was happening right then and there during the time that this shit was going on, the whole disco thing, which we've talked about before. When the disco ended, it was really nasty. You know, people were wanting it to be toast. They were burning records, uh, even records that weren't disco. It was just, it was a nightmare, like in terms of how ugly it got. It was when we did the BGS review. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if you took Saturday Night Fever and made it today, 
it probably wouldn't be as frowned upon as it was back then because you're taking it out of its initial element and you know you wouldn't look at it as just a dancing movie you'd be like oh well they have it in it but it's also about this another thing i wanted to back then it wasn't like they were willing to do that well at the time when it was it was released in 77 it was it was that's what they wanted they wanted the disco but then between 77 and like 80 the disco just started coming to a halt what i i forgot about this research i did myself um one thing that really was portrayed in this movie was the promiscuity like all the sex and even almost to the point of the rapes and and everything and like the people who just like like how annette was so willing to just give herself up because it was right at that cusp of the aids epidemic right so when disco died aids aids started like literally like disco started fading out in the 80s early like 1980 1981 we still had some donna summer hits but she's kind of poppy too but like the disco era was like dying early 80s well it was like 82 83 when they decided that aids was an epidemic even though i didn't realize this that they have been able to trace back cases of aids into the 50s Mm -hmm. so um but when aids came out it really scared everybody bless Bless you. you oh my goodness that was a big sneeze cat sneeze um and it is scary like thinking you you don't know if somebody has it because they had no tests they had nothing so it was almost like this is pre-aids happy times and the 80s were like almost like a dark day because they didn't uh, yeah you, you avoid all that but it's... No, no, no no i'm saying i'm not saying that they're they're throwing this in your face what i'm saying is people sometimes look back at this movie almost lovingly to the point where it's like the 80s were kind of scary in lots of different ways but the 70s felt freer if that makes any sense yeah but my only point is this movie doesn't deal with any of the no no they don't say anything about aids but i'm just saying that like the content it's much more troublesome because of the way that women are treated in this film and I'm not, and I'm not a very woke person. So, my point is, is that one of the lessons here in this movie is these guys were not very good at how they treated women in general, and that's sort of what I'm getting at. I, I'm with that as well. We what, gotta get rolling. I, okay, sorry, that's but right. but what I'm saying is, when the '80s hit, it made people more afraid of like just having random sexual partners because they didn't want to get AIDS. And it was right at the end. Like it was the line that kind of drew disco line, 80s, AIDS epidemic. And that's kind of like people look back at this and say this was quote unquote before AIDS, even though AIDS was there, but not really the epidemic that they made it to be in the 80s. And I, I feel like sometimes... 
the nostalgia like with me the nostalgia is way different than if it was somebody who actually lived in the 70s and it was it was freer you're doing drugs you're taking you know quaaludes or whatever you're doing and you know you're fucking women that's why i think they are so open with the rapes and everything because they're almost putting it out there like this is what everybody was doing and the women were pretty much up for anything and then they were regretful I know that's a bad way to put it, but, like, you saw how Annette was. Like, she was up for anything until she's like, I really don't want to do this anymore. And then she was sad. And then, like, disco died, AIDS happened, and sex died. Like, it was it was just kind of like a, a cutoff. I don't know. That That's something that I kind of was reading about, and then I started looking at the timeline of when disco ended and when um, we we declared AIDS as an epidemic. That is all. Sorry. I, I, like I said, I could go on and on about Saturday Night Fever and the good, the bad, the ugly about that movie. But I love it. 10 out of 10. All right. Well, coming up, classic stuff from Mesro, Razor, and Entune, but here's some brand new VHS. Immortality comes with a price. Well, you people should stay up late. We keep odd hours.
is Isaac Goldsmith. This is where either we die or it dies.
tuned through the colonnade. DJ Lewis signing off with you all. DJ Nettles is about to get her. Better take care of that business. And uh, we get ready to head out of here. Hope you all enjoyed the show. The DJ Neko show, apparently, as she would say. Uh, as I said before at the beginning, uh, next week we'll be doing our best of 2021, so there won't be any like added music. Well, I, I won't say there's, there's a couple of tracks I'll have in there just as a, a throw-in, but we'll be focusing the entire episode on our, the stuff that we like for 2021 and talk a little bit about the the albums and how we felt about them is you know per usual that you've heard before with our best ofs uh and then the following week which will be the last week of december we'll get back to request and the promotional label stuff that we've got you know stacked up here as well as any new music that comes in between now and then uh so we'll keep you updated and all that again appreciate your all support be looking out for our website probably within the next month uh, we should have that up pretty soon, which will give everyone a centralized location to go and uh, tune in, not to just the podcast when they're updated, but um, also going to have uh, the internet radio portion on there. So the person that's working on the website has showed me uh, what she's got planned and uh, how she can integrate it into the, the website itself. So I'm very happy about that because I want everything to be in just one location so people can go and do whatever they want, whether it's uh, listen to the podcast part of it or if they want to just tune into the station itself, you'll be able to do both. We'll have uh, links to all our YouTube personalities that we do shows with on YouTube. Fat Samurai Guy, Derek from Flick Snacks and Knickknacks, Eric from uh, the Asian uh, Movie Enthusiasts. Uh, Aaron Penn from Cultist Fan and so on. So many so many that you guys can tune in and check out their stuff and let you know they have some great content. So there's a lot of people that we are meeting, like Ian from Retro Serial, who we hope to be doing a uh episode of his soon. Uh so be looking out of that. We'll be uh keeping you all updated on that kind of stuff. One last track for you. Living Sacrifice Without Distinction. Take care of you all. Take care of yourselves and be safe. Peace.